my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit and DIY punk, brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts from Hastings. I'm Siobhan. And I'm Dave, and this is episode 48, and we're going to be doing our second part of our lo-fi culture series, Mm. and we're going to be talking about music. Music. And I think more specifically, why people choose to still make lo-fi music in the digital world that we live in. Ooh. We all enjoy ourselves living in this digital world. You especially love a digital world. Constant communication <laughs> in our pocket bothering us every couple of seconds. TikToks flying by our eyes in mil- every millisecond. Oh, George Orwell wishes. <laughs> what would George Orwell think of a TikTok? I wonder what he would think of He'd be very depressed about everything that was going on in this world, as would any sensible person that wasn't born after 1990-something. oh what a lovely life what a lovely life talking about lovely lives just a very quick apology there are some sub geniuses next door making some racket banging through a wall or doing something um so if you overhear little bangs little bangs and drills and thoughts of that sort then you can at least be happy that it's some fellow if you haven't listened to the podcast where we talked about this there's some (laughs) fellows who have been doing some work in the house next door and their van is covered in sub genius stickers and Which I think I think one of them in the front window, one of them I think is a uh, universal life church minister. Yeah, or something. it's something like that. I think that's one of those things you can get on the internet and, and then you can got, marry people. Yeah, well, I think it might even be more than that. And he's um, also got a dudism sticker. Dudism, which dudism. we still do. We know what that is. Not yet, but it's on the list of like alternative religions in the way that subgenius is, and in the way that um, dudism sounds like a really stuff. bad. I think it might be based on... Um... Biodome. No. The movie Biodome. No, I feel movie, like that uh, could be... Oh, it the is. Big Lebowski. Oh, I think it's based on that. Of course it is. That makes way more that. sense than Biodome. I don't even know. <laughs> Biodome, bi- famously you... one of the worst movies ever made with what, Paulie Shaw and one of the Baldwins. The most use- Which is the most useless Baldwin, brother? Um, oh, Bobby Baldwin? Is there is a Bobby? Bo- I don't know if Billy, there's a Bobby. Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. He's pretty useless. I bet there's a Bobby that was like brought up in the loft. He's in the he got, he's in the he basement. Got, he got fish heads Get for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> poor Bobby. He's looking after Mummy Baldwin now. Oh, poor Mummy Baldwin! Can you imagine creating a family of Baldwins? I mean, I know they've all been successful and they're rich, yeah. but Jesus Christ, look at them sons! Look at them sons! Oh dear, <laughs> poor Billy Baldwin. We were going to start a religion about Paul Stanley. Uh, we've got a name for it now. Have we? Yeah. What is it? Cool Stanley. Oh, God, no. That's, no. <laughs> it that's, can't be that. No, it can't be that because that doesn't sound like a religion. But I do think it's a good band name. Please I don't th- anybody steal it because at some point I'm starting a band called Cool Stanley. I don't cool know what it's going to sound like, but it's going to be fucking weird. The nice thing about when we start the Paul Stanley religion is we will all be star children. Can't wait for that. Oh, that's true. That's good. Uh, we'll all have to cut bits of our ear off because he had a little ear. That'll be the initiation, right? And we're going to have to fuck a lot. A Those. Lot. That's it. That's all there is to a the lot, Paul Stanley lot, religion, lot. really. Fucking small ears. Well, and also just <laughs> constantly believing 
being positive about the fact that you really think that you have not done very well yet even when you're earning shitloads of money that autobiography kiss very small band never really made any money according to paul stanley (laughs) just consistently i remember doing a little timeline as i was reading it and he was just like oh and at this point we still weren't making any money we were still really hard off and i was like pretty sure lick it up's out now like come on uh yeah doing all right well yeah i mean they had all those toys and everything but i wonder if other people I don't know whether right. So I just presume they're real like psychopath businessmen, but I well, and I can't is. remember because well, Gene Simmons unquestionably is. But yeah. um, I wonder whether it was that they got ripped off a lot in their earlier career because I'm guessing in the seventies or whatever. I don't think they were making them lunch boxes. Maybe not. And like the toys and stuff, they would have gone out to someone else. And I'm sure their record label, in the same way that all record labels, all major record labels, were yeah. ripping them off. So I think it was more of a case of that. I don't think it was that the Kiss juggernaut wasn't making lots of money. It's just that maybe it wasn't. They weren't seeing And it. plus, I suppose if you were Paul Stanley, you're probably thinking, well, you know, we, we're turning over millions here. And I'm Where's getting, I'm only getting 500 grand. Yeah. No, Which, of course, true. to you or I would be, I'd retire immediately. Immediately. But, <laughs> Go oh and well. live in a van. Maybe that's. With a sub-genius sticker on it. <laughs> and I'd bang, I'd bang the fucking house next to their uh, walls through. <laughs> When they're trying to make a fucking podcast. <laughs> they get, it's gone quiet. They're definitely hearing us. Uh, so let's uh, let's get this show on the road. Oh, yeah. I sound no, like a that's, radio person Wow, now. yeah. That's good, wow, wacky. Oh, my God. I wish I had some of those sound effects that were like a fart or like oh. a... <laughs> <laughs> Just do it with me. I'll press the button and you make the noise. Oh. Oh, let's get this show on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the show is a that was the strangest. That is the strangest noise that I've ever made when trying to pull a raspberry. I pull a raspberry. I've forgotten how to talk and do raspberries. I, think, I don't think you should pull a raspberry. God. I really thought you shoved your finger up the cat's bum earlier. So it did look like you you were sort of petting her and it just looked like you were literally fingering her ass really sort of slowly and lovingly. I was just poking a bald bit, but that's not... <laughs> that is fingering no, her ass. I was, I was not. I was not. She's licked all the fluff off her back legs. Anyway, this first song is from a band called Vampire Slumber Party. If you're late to the party, we've played them if, loads of times. If you're late to the Vampire Slumber Party. Hey, hey. That wasn't even meant to be that good. They, I think, and I feel like we might say this every time, but I think they're the band we've played most on this podcast. They definitely will be this time, because I think this is going to be the th- fourth? I reckon fourth. I think this is the fourth song of theirs we've played. I love this song so much. I it's think a it's beauty. a beautiful song. When we saw it this live... Band- Last, yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah. very, 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 very good. But this band's just got better and better. And now, because uh, Pippa's joined, our friend Pippa on the bass, mm-hmm. and uh, her backing vocals are just wonderful. On oh, I know. I mean, the whole thing, everything about Cute, it's brilliant. Cutesy patootsy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Vampire Slumber Party with the song Little Lights. They're from London, and this is their new single, which will be out on the 31st of October. I, this might even be an exclusive because <gasps> this podcast comes out about two days before it's released. Oh. I think the video, I think everyone's probably heard it. Oh, well. Let's just pretend not. Get it in your ear. An exclusive listen from from your friends at Breakfast Punk's podcast.
this Thursday. Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world tonight. Fucking news. I'm going to kick off with a bit of ghost news. We love a bit of ghost news. But this is some of the finest ghost news, I think. Spook landlady says she owns former brothel that's haunted by horny grunting ghosts. (laughs) Horny ghosts. Linda Hill from Gainesville, Texas. By the way, Linda Hill looks like Phil Spector. Um, (laughs) Claims that the property she owns is an abandoned brothel that's haunted by horny grunting ghosts. She claims the property is unrentable because of its sex-crazed spirits and has turned it into a spooky tourist attraction. Although we'll get to how she's turned it into a spooky tourist attraction in a minute. According to Linda, the property known as Hill House Manor was a brothel during the 19th century and the spirits of hookers, the words of the Daily Star, not mine, (laughs) and their clients still occupy its walls. She says that she was initially sceptical but but had her mind changed in the shower one day when she heard a leering male voice say, looking good. Linda initially blamed her husband... Uh, again, let me be clear, she looks like Phil Spector, until he walked into the bathroom moments later and inquired who she was talking to. And it was like, oh my God, it really is haunted. <laughs> I thought it was going to be until he walked in the, like a couple of minutes later and then was just really fucking horrible to her. It would have been better like- if she'd actually just fucked. That would have been a way better story. <laughs> just The horny ghost made her think, oh, my husband's coming on to me. And then he yeah. walked in and she thought, well, he went in. let me jump his bones. Yeah, and he's like, I was just going for a little poo. Well, Although a man shower. married to Phil Spector, I can't imagine what he must look like, to be honest, in Texas too. I imagine he's mm. a big fella. Mm. Um, <laughs> previous tenants uh, have claimed to have heard voices groan, oh baby, oh baby, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, previous tenants said this. Previous tenants have told her this, but she's never believed it until, until the incident in the shower. There is a, there's a dumb nominator here. It is her husband. The husband's just walking around, freaking people out, going back in and being like, I didn't say anything, you crazy old lady. I mean, definitely, well, he's from Norfolk, is he? Um, <laughs> I definitely think that's possible, but I would also argue, yeah, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast at some point has stayed in hotels, hmm. particularly really cheap rinky-dink ones like the Hill House Manor, which I cannot tell you how <laughs> shit and rinky-dink it looks. And I've heard a lot of people fucking in hotels through the walls. Very true, very true. And I wouldn't be surprised if I at some point have heard like some Dutchman or something in the in the room next to me in a hotel in I don't know, let's say Bulgaria, say, "Oh baby, oh baby, yeah," <laughs> through the walls. Is that how the Dutch sound? That was my Dutch. That was your Dutch. Uh, or a Spaniard. Oh no! <laughs> saying, for example, "Yeah, I like that." Oh my that god. That was good as well, oh wasn't it? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> oh no. But just going back to what we said earlier about how she's now turned it into a spooky how she's oh, how she's turned it into a spooky tourist attraction. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> Enterprising Linda has now decorated the house where things go bump and grind Hooray! in the night with a creepy Oh my god, is it called bump and grind in the night? Sorry, <laughs> no, no, it's just called the Hill House Manor. Uh. With a creepy <laughs> I'm going to have to say it again because yeah, it won't make sense. It's no, it's good. fine. It's good. She's now decorated the house yeah. with a, let me be clear, a creepy porcelain doll. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is one really sad looking doll, which isn't creepy at all, just there on the sideboard somewhere. Just there. 
So she's trying to market it as a real-life haunted house mm-hmm. for visitors to pay to attend just in time for Halloween. Oh. She has written at least two books. At least. <laughs> at least, because they mentioned two books. But she claims that there are other spooky occurrences away from the sexy whispers. Mm. Uh, for example, an upstairs door regularly opens, even after Linda forcibly closed it shut. Well, that's just... <laughs> so they've got a broken door. Yeah, they've just got damp, uh, damp wood. Uh, she claims to have audio footage of the nymphomaniac ghosts getting jiggy. I'm pretty sure, again, those are the words of the Daily Star. But she's yet to share it. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Linda. There's a 19-foot-deep well under the living room, which doesn't sound very safe to me. No. Um, and Linda's dubbed the well the murder room. <laughs> what that one out. And apparently every psychic that walks in here sees a dead man lying on the floor. <laughs> Some visitors have claimed that the well is a spiritual portal leading to increased hauntings in the room and the room adjacent to the well. Mm. At some point, if I had all the money in the world, I would a thousand percent go and see Linda. Yeah, definitely. Go on, Linda, show us your sexy ghosts. I don't know if you heard that, but our cat just sneezed immediately after Siobhan said, show us your sexy ghosts. Uh-oh, <laughs> she's been taken over. Well, she has had her fucking bum finger. No, she's not. Things. Don't be like that. Well, going back to our fantastic sound effects bonanza of the beginning of the show, oh. i.e. The, bl- the blowing of raspberries. I did make the sound of a clown horn as well, but I don't think it was clear to the listener. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounded like a crazy man making a noise in his <laughs> great sankey family amused by daughter's poo toy attachment <laughs> bob i think i've what's a I sankey family i think i've highlighted all of the wrong words <laughs> in that in that sentence great sankey i think must be a place near warrington because this is the warrington okay. guardian right. but sankey, apologies to our warrington friends sankey ramming with hanky i think is is mr hanky the christmas poo from south park oh so that's an important link. aspect of well the, i don't is know this from the daily star as well this is from chance? the warrington guardian oh, right, okay. a mum has shared how her little girl has become inseparable with her toy poo and even takes it to bed with her little caitlin wilson she's age three was gifted a toy poo Three weeks ago by her parents as a reward for using the potty all week. Was it like an emoji poo? It looks a bit like an emoji poo. We, I mean, anyone who went to what's a call first, it is identical to the poo that the was being... The stretchy poo? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. identical to the stretchy poo that was being danced around with. Um, but they had no idea how attached she would become to it. Now she will not go anywhere without her trusty poo toy, refusing to leave the house without it and even cuddling it when she goes to sleep. Her mum, Carly, has said that she has abandoned all of her previous cuddly companions and that she only favours the poo toy now. The dad said she's got a thing for poo at the moment, which is all a bit... Well, she's probably going through the anal phase of psychological development. I love that I love that you're like getting straight reasonable. on the psychological. Ah, <laughs> but she's dumped all of her other toys, and now she likes the poo. Um, sorry, does the poo make a sound effect? No, it's just squishy and, and, and <laughs> just stretchy, and she just takes it everywhere with and her. And this is a shop. new story. Yeah, this is, to the, this is the news. The news story this is that the a girl has given up all of her toys apart from a poo. Yeah. Does it go anywhere? <laughs> Pretty much no. What, what does she call it? Uh, Mr. Poo? <laughs> <laughs> Why's that? I feel like that was the most <laughs> obvious possible suggestion. She calls it poo-poo. Oh. She takes it to bed with well, her. she's got less imagination than I have. <laughs> <laughs> They've made a little cot for this poo toy that sleeps next to her in bed. 
Is that specially for the papers? It's got a little putoy uh, <laughs> cot, and it's a, it's quite a lovely thing. Uh, we'll pop it up there on Instagram if anyone is interested. Well, talking about turds, there's a new conspiracy theory that claims that a book from the 1800s proves that Donald Trump time travels. What? <laughs> this uh, is a TikTok explain. theory. I don't know if they've got a name. I think TikToks have now all got names. Maybe this is a conspiracy talk. Let's call it that. Conspiracy talk. Lindsay Ivan, a TikToker, claimed that Ingersoll Lockwood's book, Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Adventures, which does sound like a lot of fun, could be proof that Donald Trump and his family are time travellers. Lindsay explained, Donald Trump and his son are time travellers, and I'm about to show you why. First starters, so she can't... You can't string a sentence together. Not four starters. First starters. Let's take a look at this book from the 1890s. The book is about a young boy named Baron Trump who finds a portal and time travels. Donald Trump's son is named Baron Trump. Not only that, in the book, Baron is guided by a man named Don. But wait, there's more. In another book by the same author, so not the same book, but a different book, it's about an unlikely presidential candidate that won the election. So if that's not proof, I don't know what is. Not only that, but the book talks about the Fifth Avenue Hotel. The address in the book is the same address where the Trump Towers currently stand. Like, what are the odds? This is too weird. In the book, there's also a character named Laugh Pence aka similar to mike pence again she's not used aka correctly there i don't think what's going on there's way too many eerie coincidences here no (laughs) (laughs) well a lot of there's maybe two a lot of in the whole span of two whole books a lot of her followers disagree with you siobhan she's correct do the research said one user do the research read the book i suppose i've been all the other bits of that i've been saying this for years (laughs) <laughs> said another <laughs> so he knows he it's knows. definitely a him he knows. He knows. there's no way that's not a man too many coincidences indicate no coincidences at all that should literally be on every conspiracy theory <laughs> theorists like t-shirt they should just carry it around on the red i mean all conspiracy theories involve one taking a lot of facts unrelated to each other smushing them together and then deciding that therefore they're absolute and then and then from then on those people generally can only see things that fit their world and but, disregard the rest like this woman who's disregarded probably thousands of pages of those two books to focus on two maybe yeah, three facts but also it's definitely not impossible i mean a much more likely possibility is that donald trump really likes that book yeah and therefore named his son after the character in the book is his son called baron apparently i Jesus don't know Christ. i don't know how many he's got they all look the same they've all got that face with the teeth <laughs> That smushy, weird, horrible face. That weird, like their eyes are all too open. (laughs) (laughs) Their eyes are too open. Which I would say could suggest they're secret rulers of the world. But isn't Trump famously like fighting against the uh, secret rulers of the world? I think that's what conspiracy theorists believe, isn't it? That's certainly what QAnon believes. Well, I think you're starting a new conspiracy theory by which maybe he's doing the double bluff. And maybe he is a secret ruler, but he's coming out there and saying, I'm against them, guys. Maybe he's a character from this book that has come to life. Maybe yeah. he is the Don character he from this the Don. book. He's the Don. In a similar conspiracy theory theme, Loch Ness Monster Mystery Solved oh, by a woman God. who knows exactly what it is. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. This, I've, we've been waiting for this woman we to have, come along for ages. Haven't we just been waiting? <laughs> a woman claims to have solved an 
I just must repeat that every time it says solved, it says it in inverted commas. <laughs> so this person obviously believes them. Um, claims to have solved one of Scotland's biggest mysteries and reckons she knows exactly what the Loch Ness Monster is. Sue Cuff from Penrith, Australia, is adamant that she stumbled upon the truth behind Nessie after watching a documentary <laughs> and realised it looks exactly the same as the sock puppets her dad used to make. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> Despite the famous water beast inspiring many theories and folklores in Scotland, the 60-year-old Australian is now certain that it's all an elaborate hoax. After watching the documentary, which shows the classic 1934 picture of the mysterious figure of the Loch Ness Monster in black coming out of the water, she says something jogged her memory. She believes the picture to actually be an elaborate hoax, which actually shows a man laying under the water, sticking his arm out like a shadow puppet. Sue is confident that she solved this and has even shared images of her recreating the iconic photo. <laughs> when she tells her theory, people don't believe her. <laughs> oh, Sue. There is a beautiful photo that I will put on Instagram because it is just perfect <laughs> where she really has solved it. Um, Sorry, hold off one second just to describe this picture to you all just a little bit. <laughs> when you said a specific, like a sock puppet that her dad made... I thought you meant that he was like a craftsman of some sort. Oh, no, 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 And he no. had created like really good sock puppets and that therefore she put two and two together. Yeah. That <laughs> is literally a sock with a hand in it. Yeah. Just a big sock. Yeah. So her dad used to do shadow puppets all the time. And so when she saw this picture, she was like, oh, that's like the, sh-. you know, the only, the, the, the shadow puppet that everyone does, which yeah, is so why, when just you, a hand. Yeah, like, so th- again, I thought that the dad would be like an expert at shadow puppet. So he could make like, I don't know, a giraffe and it would actually look a bit like a giraffe because he put all, you know, he gave himself arthritis by moving all of his limbs in a funny way. Yeah. But that is just a sock with a hand in it. Yep. And in fairness, it does look quite a lot like that picture of the monster. <laughs> so I, I think Sue's got a point. Over perspective, it doesn't work. I think that Loch Ness monster is a bloke laying under the water with his arms striking out of the water. My dad used to do that sort of thing on the wall, and I knew exactly what it was. It's just a dark photo of a man's arm. You can see a bit of the body. That'll just be the bloke with his body under the water. How can it not be that? <laughs> but the, you were right about the perspective issue. Uh, admittedly, you do have to presume a lot from a photograph, but the whatever that is in that famous picture of the Loch Ness monster... Is big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's bigger than a man's arm. But she reckons you can see the bloke under the water. But it's bigger than a bloke. <laughs> so it'd have to be a massive bloke with a really massive arm with a <laughs> massive sock on it, like bigger, a bigger sock than you've ever seen in your life. And I would suggest that if the Loch Ness Monster is a ginormous man with his arm with a massive sock on it, that's more scary than there being a Loch Ness Monster. Instead of a Loch Ness Monster, what she's proven is there's a ginormous man (laughs) that lives under the water for long periods of time (laughs) in a massive body of water in Scotland. (laughs) That's terrifying. There's a giant in the Loch Ness. (laughs) I think that might be more scary than a monster. Well, he is the... I mean, she hasn't disproved anything. It's the Loch Ness Monster. He's just a different type of monster. He's just just a prankster monster. He's just a monster who likes to have a little bit of fun. Oh. (laughs) Well, I put it on my Facebook, but no one really took any notice, and I want the truth to come out. I'm hoping people take this seriously and listen. I've never been to Scotland. My family come from Ireland. I've not visited. I'd like to go to Loch Ness, but I have no money. How many 
um, of Sue's Facebook friends do you think prior to her posting that had unfollowed her secretly? Yeah, they were just like, we're not like, watching your How shit, many of Sue. her friends actually saw mouth. that picture of her proving the Loch Ness Monster was a ginormous man with a sock on his hand? <laughs> friends is a, uh, a long shot, I would imagine, if this is the sort of stuff she spouts. But good on you, Sue. I like that also one of the things that proves it is she says that it's a man taking the piss swimming around with his arm hanging out and that he set up a camera to take that photo. In 1934, I'm pretty sure they didn't have <laughs> the cameras that you can set a timer on and then you dive in the water and get someone to take a photo. I suppose happens. in 1934, sock puppets would have been amazing though. People would have been True. flabbergasted by him. They'd be like, you could you could swim with one of these and it would look it would look like a monster in, in the water. Go on. Clearly not true. But if it were true, yeah. whoever that man was that did what you just described would be a fucking legend. If he Good was boy. literally in 1934, you were like, you know, I can really take the piss out of people with a sock puppet. Yeah. Get the perspective right. And I mean, he smashed make it. it. He's fucking banging that he guy. It. I wonder, Good boy. Oh, that's wicked. I wonder if that was uh, Donald Trump or going back in time. Into, yeah, yeah. I think he's ba- got Sorry, in- Baron Trump. Baron Trump. <laughs> he's got interest in the Loch Ness, I'm sure. I think he does own a golf course in Scotland, doesn't he? So he probably he, he probably does have interest in the Loch. He maybe, probably he probably owns a bit of Loch Ness. Maybe he is the Loch Ness monster time traveling. See what she missed that like Alistair Crowley would have been. He had a little house. I think it was Loch Ness. It's certainly Ooh. in the Highlands of Scotland. I think it was right on the side of Loch Ness, and they've burnt it down because it was so evil. Because oh. it drawn so many of his pictures, and I feel like that would have been. It would have been around about that time. It would have been around about that time. Alistair Crowley with a sock puppet. Oh, what a legend. If it and was. the person taking the photo was fucking Baron Trump. Time travelled there. Uh, uh, it might have been one of the many people that Alistair Crowley horribly Fucked. abused. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? <laughs> he had one. a lot of people he could have probably got <laughs> to take that photo <laughs> with threats. Oh. Um, <laughs> talking about threats. Yay. The secret son of King Charles III has started making some veiled comments on Facebook about how the walls of Buckingham Palace are dirty. What? <laughs> Simon Charles Durante Day. Ooh, Durante Day. <laughs> who is clearly not the son of King Charles III, um, posted a veiled comment about the state of the dirty walls of Buckingham Palace. Taking to Facebook to air his fury over the not-very-royal showcase of dirted walls at the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton, Simon Charles Durante Day was livid about the dirt. His veiled comments about the dirty walls of Buckingham Palace came after a repeated request for the royal family to take a paternity test because he believes that he is King Charles III's son. His most recent post has seen him hoping to expose the dirt and lift the veil on the family in a veiled attack on the firm. Durante Day said, now who's got dirty walls? Just saying, <laughs> that's not very royal, is it? They can hide their dirt under burgundy cloth and gold braid. However, we all know it's just sweeping it under the carpet. Some dirt can be cleaned and some won't come out with no amount of scrubbing. I mean, it sounds he like a has, royal, doesn't it? He has written a poem and just wanted to get it out there. A really shit poem. Is that a poem? I think he's... Well, it's very descriptive for someone that sounds very thick. Uh, but lots of people have taken him quite seriously. One of them replied, that's natural ageing. One must wash or clean those kind of surfaces. I love, which is probably my favourite thing about this entire story, is that some random prick on Facebook responded to this crazy man, who's obviously mad, and thought he'd 
address the problem because he's saying there's dirty yeah. walls in Buckingham Palace and we're not yeah. having that not in yeah. Blighty no no <laughs> chance but he chose he thought he needed to use the royal one <laughs> that's natural aging one must <laughs> one doesn't wash or clean those kind of surfaces <laughs> says Barry from Essex <laughs> Uh, Durante Day looks like a cabbie, I would say, probably. He's taking a lot of selfies of himself outside of Buckingham Palace. Oh, bless him. I think that the royal family have got bigger secrets that they're keeping under their hat than the fact that they've got some dirty walls, mate. Oh. I would have to say that. There's a picture of them and there's a, there's a pedo in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think dirty walls are probably the least well, of their concerns. Well, I did think that this man was just doing a massive metaphor. That's why when it got all, like, uh, poetic, I was like, is this just, like, a really big, like, metaphor? Is it a big conspiracy theory thing? Or is he genuinely just really upset about some walls? He believes that he is the son of the king. <laughs> He's obviously just sat in his flat one night and decided yeah. because he's mentally ill. But then on top of that, as a completely separate issue, he's seen that they've got dirty walls in Buckingham Palace. And then he's like, bloody hell. (laughs) I'm taking a Facebook about this. This never ends. This this trauma from this family never ends. I'll ask you the same question. Mm -hmm. How many of uh, Simon's friends do you think had unfollowed him by the time he got to the point where he was claiming that Buckingham Palace had dirty walls? Oh, gosh. If he's got any... Do you think anyone would be offended by that? These royals, right? Let's talk about the royals for a bit. Ooh, yeah. I'm a flabbergasted. And it's old news. It's not mm-hmm. really that interesting. But I was flabbergasted by the furor that the Ooh. Queen's death caused. In, you know, all that stuff. I didn't, again, don't watch the news. So I wasn't really following it at the time. So that's why I only really found out about it recently. Yeah. You know, the hours and hours of cooing. Yeah. To oh, look at don't. the body, drive past and all that shit. So that would suggest that there's... Because I, I would have thought, we talked about this before, I would have thought that the Queen's death would sort of be a bit like, meh, there would yeah. be a bunch of, like, real royalists that would be into it. Just a handful. Maybe, you know, maybe, like, let's say 10% of the country or something might think it was an important thing. Yeah. But I got the, maybe that is, maybe we've just got so many fucking human beings in the world now that that was 10% of the country. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it amazed me that people took it so seriously and I wonder and I now wonder because I think that people suddenly now poor old queen oh she was so good wasn't she that mm. queen oh she mm. was perfect I wish she was my mother like those people would they be offended by somebody saying that Buckingham Palace has got dirty walls I got the impression by that guy that used the royal one that he was a little bit you know he's a bit pissed off with Simon well, even if he is fucking King Charles the Third son <laughs> I was very surprised at the time the amount of people that I va- like that I know that came out with opinions like oh yeah no I'm not a royalist but oh she was good wasn't she oh, was ex- she who knows I don't know do you know her no one knows her well, no, she was just an old woman that yeah. got paid loads of money but yeah. she was probably fine I didn't want her dead necessarily no, but I don't no, care I that she is dead, dead. I guess it's just another example of how human beings just do what the, everyone, all the other human beings That's do. That's exactly it. I so think. I suppose it was a, it was a, the, the ball rolled, didn't it? It started with probably just those people that were really into the Queen, and then everyone thought, "Fuck, everyone's bothered about the Queen. We better start being. Oh my God, I better write something on my Facebook." Oh gosh, yeah, share, share a picture of her with Paddington Bear or whatever the fuck everyone did. Boring. Paddington Bear. Yeah, I kept seeing, like I say, pr- loads of people that I know were just sharing pictures of things that were like. What the what Maybe like a toy of Paddington Bear? Bear? Is it like Winnie the Pooh? I don't fucking know. There was just things getting shared about by people who I thought knew better. But oh well, she's gone now, isn't she? Oh, social media is good, isn't it? It is good. What it's a very worth, good. What a worthwhile thing that you saw a lot of. 
Well, here's something that I hope to not see too much of. Woman with two belly buttons said doctors told her she absorbed her twin in the womb. Oh, my Jesus Christ. <laughs> if, if one belly button didn't freak you out enough, imagine having two. Um, oh, I think I'm going to vomit. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty grim. Um, this came to light on... Have you ever watched the Graham Norton show, David? Uh, no, I know who Graham Norton is. Yeah, he lives down the road. He does. I saw him in the pub. Oh, did you? Yeah, he was in the fountain. Aww. I think I might. Have, I don't know if I actually saw him in person in the pub. I think I saw a picture of him in the <laughs> fountain. Maybe. <laughs> I've seen many like people in the pub. For a second, then. there, my immediate reaction was, "Yeah, I've seen Graham Norton in the pub." And then I thought, "No, I've seen a picture of <laughs> Graham Norton in a pub." <laughs> well, in that case, I've seen fucking loads of people in the pub. Yeah, I know. Um, so on Graham Norton, they have this bit where they have a little red chair and someone sits in it and tells a story. And if it's oh, I've seen good, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's good, they yeah. get given a drink, and if it's bad, they get flipped out of the chair. And so this one. That's encouraging alcohol abuse. Well, maybe they don't give it a drink, but they do drink (laughs) a lot on the programme. Anyway, she was able to tell the whole of her story because people were um, flabbergasted. So there's a lady called Jenny from Ireland, and she said she was born with uh, an extra belly button, and she says use it to get her extra drinks. And Graham Norton was quick to clarify. Please tell me she doesn't put shots in (laughs) Oh, no, I think it's just to show it off and then go... What a I life. really have no what idea. Life. I've got two belly buttons, so I get free drinks. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, Norton was quick to clarify, asking Jenny if she had two umbilical cords or if one belly button just simply looked like one. And she said, no, they both are belly buttons. Um, doctors think I could have absorbed my twin in the womb. So basically, she's two humans in one. Well, this is a thing that I did not know existed, and now I'm a bit freaked out. Vanishing twin syndrome is a type of miscarriage that can occur when an embryo stops developing and the tissue is absorbed by the mother or the surviving embryo. I ate my twin. (laughs) Vanishing twin syndrome can occur before 12 weeks and therefore before many women's first ultrasound scan. Meaning in some cases, both parents and doctors are never aware that there were two embryos to start with. It uh, happens for the same reasons as most early miscarriages, which is chromosomal abnormalities. You're telling me one baby absorbed the other baby. Jenny went on to continue with the rest of her story, explaining that on one birthday, she received free drinks all night for showing her unusual addition to a member of staff who had a fear of belly buns. It's a bit harsh. If you're scared of belly buns, you show her too. Um, I showed them to her and she completely freaked out, started crying, left. They high-fived me and gave me free drinks all night. <laughs> because they really hated that woman. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. She had been harsh. claiming that her dad made up the Loch Ness Monster with a big sock. <laughs> That's why they were desperate to get rid of her. Yeah, she kept saying she was King Charles III's daughter. <laughs> and that she knows uh, that um, Baron Don, whatever his name, has uh, time-travelled out of some book from the 1830s. Uh, that is absolutely fantastic fucking horrific i mean one belly button is nightmare enough just, i mean, really I mean that's just two places that if you got touched you immediately immediately want to vomit yeah i don't know if that's just my body oh no gosh <laughs> i think belly buttons are literally devil signs horrible i did used to think that if you pushed your finger hard enough into your belly button would it come out inside your stomach oh back God. when i didn't really understand anything um, did <laughs> to you be try honest, were you trying well no because i can't really even touch my belly yeah. button because it freaks me out too much which makes me think it's my body's reaction to say don't go inside yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Not that oh, way. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> so is that why you were fingering the cat? No! <laughs> fucking hell. But, do, but belly buttons do look a bit like cat's bum holes. Oh, well, hello. Maybe this is a conspiracy theory we can create. You know that Maybe humans and cats f- are the same, but just the other way but around. But if you because... put your finger inside a belly button, do you come out inside a cat's bum? 
Oh, oh, we all linked to a cat. Some sort of this is a conspiracy Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not got nothing no, that's to do not, with it at all. It's just, to do with it. just sounds good. Um, but some th- we're all linked to a cat's bumhole through our belly button, and that therefore the this. entire human race is basically just one. We're, we're not, one creation, we're not, which is actually this woman didn't eat her sister. <laughs> what actually happened is that naturally we are just one thing, and we all break off from each other. Oh. I like that. We are one via belly buttons and bum holes. <laughs> Bracket. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one way that we are probably all connected. Mm-hmm. That's that we can all agree that the sound of the saxophone is very unpleasant. Oh, harsh. <laughs> harsh. But even worse, though, if a man insists on playing it for nine hours during his very, very complex brain surgery. <laughs> what? A musician had a brain tumour removed in Italy this week in a nine-hour surgery that he spent not only awake and fully conscious, but playing the saxophone. The 35-year-old male patient had the procedure at Rome's Payadea, that's definitely not how you say it, International Hospital, by a neurosurgeon named Dr. Christian Brogner, and he was awake throughout the surgery. Uh, The tumour was removed successfully. And there was no negative impacts on the patient. Apparently, this is something that they do do. Yeah. Because uh, the idea is that when there's a, an art to brain surgery, mm-hmm. because obviously you can change somebody's personality and you can change their abilities and the things that yeah. they've learned in that really sort of weird, complex way. Mm. And so if you can play the saxophone really well, they like you to play the saxophone so that they definitely don't make you forget how to play the saxophone. Well, I think, which yeah. I, which just, I mean, in a way, I I don't know if there's, that doesn't seem to add up to me because it, more or less it just tells you whether you force the person to forget to play the saxophone if halfway through he suddenly goes from being really <laughs> to really shit. Not if he starts getting a bit shit throughout. Like, how do they judge that? Is there like a grading, a grading master stood next to him going, oh no, he was doing yeah, well, but now he wouldn't pass gone grade from a, four. Yeah, he's gone, gone from wouldn't a grade pa- 10 to a grade wouldn't five. Wouldn't pass grade four now. <laughs> oh, you better, you better stop. But I know I have heard of this. Uh, people who are having brain surgeries and they stay awake and they have to actively do something. That's really interesting. Um, throughout. And I'm just like, you're a, just everything about it. I'm like, you're awake whilst people are in your brain. Oh my God. But you, so you've got no nerve receptors, so you can't really hit, feel anything. But anyway. you had to get but, to the brain no, of via oh, your no. skull. Yeah, yeah, but they numb it. They don't just, they don't just lop the top of the head off and go at you. Oh, you've I mean, got to drill through your skull But it's just you there. don't have to sleep. But here's uh, another interesting thing. One of the reasons uh, why they had to do it and to make sure, to doubly check, is because, A, it was in a really complex area of the brain, mm-hmm. but also because he was left-handed, it makes things much more complicated, wow. apparently, because the neural pathways of the brain are much more complicated in left-handed people. Oh, okay. So there's an interesting thing. I don't know what that means. I have heard that left-handed people are more creative. That was uh, one anecdote I've heard about left-handed people. I think that that's a bit of a myth. Yeah. But yeah, maybe... I was more interested in the fact that if you were the doctor performing that surgery, that really difficult surgery for nine hours, <laughs> and the nurses too, all really concentrating on trying to make this thing happen, yeah. and you've got to listen to some prick play the fucking saxophone for nine hours. Depends what they play. I think I would purposefully shove something into his brain <laughs> so that he forgets how to play the saxophone and learns an instrument I would enjoy. <laughs> really harsh. Talking about instruments I would enjoy... Norfolk? I don't know. <laughs> Hello, my little darlings. 
Hi. There you go. But by my little <laughs> darlings, I mean David, who's in the room. We see Claude where he's given it, and all the lovely listeners sitting at home. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was turned into a like evening sound. Sounds like uh, Jack and Ori. Jack and Ori. I don't even know what that is. That's when uh, people used to read nice stories to the children. Oh. My God, did you never get Jack and Ori? Well, I, no. What, on telly? Uh, maybe it didn't go to like BBC Norfolk. Oh, you just know. had you just had Gary Glitter and uh, <laughs> and the darts and the darts, <laughs> as in the band or or the, what, the, the, darts? the famous sport. The famous sport. The famous I mean, sport. I don't know if that is big in Norfolk. It's probably something darts older is, than no, that. No, darts is it's probably quite... like throwing a rock. Oh or fuck something. off! Darts is huge in Norfolk. We like a bit of darts. We like all the pub sports. If I'm honest. <laughs> um, well, Norfolk news is pretty. Crud again. All right. If I'm honest. All right. Cool. But I think we're gonna have to give up on this segment think, soon because everyone yeah, <laughs> starts I with, "Oh, there's nothing going on in North apart from the murders and the, well, and the A14." That's not even been any murders this mm. these couple of weeks. Come on, Norfolkians, get murdering. But I would. Please don't. Please don't listen to what David says. Do not do no murders. No, St Stephen Street really has riled everyone up with its. Uh, Un- the pedestrianisation really, of Norwich City Centre. <laughs> almost. They've they've taken a long time redoing that road and that's just pissed everyone off. And it turns out they don't talk about nothing else. But I did see this headline and it made and then when I looked into it, I realised I've missed something entirely that happened in politics, and no doubt that's why I missed it. Former Turnip Taliban member <laughs> <laughs> Furious with MPs over Truss Exit. That's Turnip not, Taliban. <laughs> no, it turns out it's not actually that exciting. A lot of hardline, really in the agriculture conservatives are upset that she um, has fucked off. Because Liz Truss is from Norfolk. Yeah. Yeah, she's mm. from Norfolk. I, we don't brag about it that often. Mm. Although the I EDP, bet some do. Again, the evening yeah. news and the EDP has been bragging about it, thus there being no news. Um, but when she announced her resignation, people were very upset. Namely, the self-described former member of the Turnip Taliban, Sorry, be Roy clear. Brame. Roy Brame does not sound like he was in the Taliban. Am I right in saying that the Turnip Taliban has nothing to do with the actual Taliban? Uh, it's nothing to do with the actual Taliban. Right, okay, right. And it's a very unusual choice. This is where things go a bit amiss in Norfolk, <laughs> where they would call, they call themselves... The turnip Taliban. Do you think they understand what the Taliban actually is? They or do, might are they, do. Are they just considering themselves like we're against something and that and the Taliban are against something else? Well, it's else. more the Taliban consider themselves hardline Islam. Right, so they're hardline And these turnip. are hardline Tories that are well into agriculture. Oh, right. And really into like keeping their own land and all that shit. Oh, I bet they believe in some conspiracy theories. As you can imagine, he's 68 years old. No, oh, there's um, a surprise. He he's looked- not white, is he by any chance? <laughs> What kind of direction his skin is? <laughs> red. It, it's very red. <laughs> he's very red. He's in a tweed jacket. He's obviously a knob. He Has said, he got that thing that's happened to Jeremy Clarkson's face where everything's just gone down all of a sudden? Oh, oh he's got jowls. He's yeah. got jowls. Don't you fucking, uh, don't you fucking believe, miss it. Um, <laughs> he's a Tory councillor in Thetford. He voted against mistrust becoming the Conservative candidate for West Norfolk in 2009, but later supported her. Originally, she weren't local. So we didn't vote for her in the first place because she was not local. But she's been an excellent MP. But I looked into it a tiny bit. This turnip Taliban stuff, um, they call themselves that because of their conservative views and the local agricultural produce. And they want to 
keep that safe. They've made the news a few times. Mm. They were... Probably ag- because they called themselves the fucking <laughs> yeah, Turnip Taliban. They uh, didn't like Liz Truss back when she had an affair in like the early 2010s and they went out on a rampage to get her like kicked out and David Cameron kept quoting them and that's where they got a bit famous. So... Against what all of my Facebook friends have been saying, Listrust is actually a human being that's done other things apart from just be evil. She's had an affair with she somebody. She had an affair. Yeah, well, she's had an affair. Who would have thunk it? She's sorry, she's rich. She's actually a real person. Do you think she, she has any be. emotions? No. Oh. Well, I don't know. Maybe no, not. She doesn't seem she to. Don't according look like to everything has. I've read. She's got a tiny little pigeon na- uh, mouth. No, right. And she looks a bit weird. <laughs> okay. Um, but it got me thinking turnip taliban mm-hmm. can we come up with anything better oh jesus christ <laughs> what for for hardline tories for hardline vegetable enthusiasts <laughs> i've only come up with I two hope you've, i hope you've prepared some because i'm not doing this off the cuff well i tried to do some off the cuff and i thought <laughs> i can't think of any good ones so right. i i had to look up a list of terrorist groups and go from there very bad I've got the Ku Klux carrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. That's terrible. Isn't there a vegetable that begins with a K? There's got to be one. Kale? Yeah, the Ku Klux kale. Well, I, I firstly... Or the Kale Klux Klan. Would be. <laughs> well, firstly, I listed a name of vegetables and I thought, oh, this would be easy. That's not as easy as you think. No, I, I know. can't I'm think of any my terrorist group. Because you've just thrown this on me live on air. Um, <laughs> I had to go off... <laughs> off key a little bit as you can imagine right. I've got the hummus Hezbollah <laughs> hummus Siobhan is not a vegetable <laughs> that's as good as I could get to be honest I couldn't really um, think of any I mean, like I, I don't think I know enough commie uh, carrots I don't know terrorist groups I can't think of any terrorist groups um, and also communists are not terrorists sorry to uh, no yeah, absolutely not no um, the, the the tomato <laughs> terrifiers <laughs> <laughs> well I thought you could probably name yourself other things. What's the R- IRA stand for? Irish Republican. Well, it's not God, is it? It must be association or something. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I was thinking asparagus, but you couldn't really work that in there. <laughs> Irish Republic asparagus don't really make any sense. Surely the Irish rhubarb Ooh! guard. The Irish rhubarb guard. Irish rhubarb guard. Right, we've got two. Hermes Hezbollah. <laughs> The Wasabi Weatherman. Oh, that's good. <laughs> there you go. That's oh, good. Or the Wasabi Weather Underground, just to be politically correct. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, parsnip, can you do anything with a parsnip? So I think there might be a terrorist attack going on outside. I think that the, the, the subgeniuses have started to use machinery outside. They heard about your Weatherman joke and they're on it. They're like, no, they're mates of ours. Don't you fucking start. I've got it. I've got the last one. That's... <laughs> I don't think I can actually say it. Al Kaleida. <laughs> Al Kaleida. Kaleida. It's Kale. It's Kale. They're not going to get better than that, are they? Oh, I don't think that is. Oh, though, Turnip Taliban's really. Turnip Taliban one. is definitely that the is best the one. one. Obviously, none of these are funny, really. But if, if, if you had to have a vegetable terrorist group, Turnip Taliban's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and you do have to have a vegetable <laughs> terrorist group. <laughs> Please, in fact, send them in shamcityroasters at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Or comment on our Instagram. We'd love can to hear you, all of your suggestions about you hilarious outdo, terrorism. Can you outdo Turnip Taliban or Al Kaleida? <laughs> I think we probably should play a song now yeah. and stop this fucking nonsense. <laughs> uh, this is by a band called The Butters Aliens. 
Uh, I was going to say butter. If only butter had been a uh, vegetable. Butternut squash. Butternut squash aliens. The butternut squash aliens. But then aliens aren't really a terrorist group. Nah, they they love it. They've come from far and wide Although to tell a us lot how of good people with, squash are. A lot of people with conspiracy theories would consider aliens a terrorist group. Well, with all that probing and bumming that they do and they take people away up in the spaceships. So this is the Butters <laughs> Aliens. They're from Birmingham. This is from an EP that comes out on the 18th of November and it's called Hang Around. lovely breakfast punks podcast listeners did you know that you can now support us via our patreon we have a number of different tiers that you can support us on and if you give three pound or more then you will get an extra monthly episode of this very podcast in which you may hear such intellectual nuggets as these what's the picture that you've taken of your penis where it looks at its very best (laughs) 
<laughs> Would you get hard? <laughs> what, well, the you won the lottery. <laughs> is that... <laughs> What's your controversial opinions? Social media's going to kill us. I quite like Gary Glitter. Yeah. What the fuck? If you could finger one thing, what, what would you finger? Oh, you're such a twat. I know. Please do a double fart. <laughs> well, I think he accidentally got me in the, in the nether region. Well. I was like, I don't know about this birthday treat, but it feels a bit weird. Daniel Filth is on his first date there, furiously masturbating to someone's vaginal skin. Maybe I should have stuck with paedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> so sign up now at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast. Thanks for your money. Cheers. Hello and welcome back to Breakfast Punks. We're now going to be moving on to our main segment, which is uh, the second part in our lo-fi culture series, as we're dubbing it, which we're going to be looking at lo-fi music. If you haven't listened to our last episode, I welcome you to go back and listen to it now, um, where we talked about zines and zine culture, the small press, and it kind of led to a discussion about why would, in this modern day with modern technology, would people still be creating zines and what the worth in that is? Um, and I think we pretty much fleshed it out quite a lot on the last episode. So please do go back and listen to it. But I do think this balance of how to use old technologies in a modern world is probably going to be this undercurrent theme for this episode and maybe any more that we end up doing about lo-fi culture. Yes, well, hopefully we're not going to repeat ourselves continuously because <laughs> I think crossed. I think the two are similar in a lot of ways, but also very different in a yeah. lot of ways. And uh, we have sort of we have sort of planned this out in a way where we would be covering the different main topics, uh, talking via uh, the different subjects. I do think that we're going to do a third episode. Yeah. And last time we were a bit vague about that third episode, but we might as well say it now. I want to do one about lo-fi filmmaking. Mm. And I don't think filmmaking is generally talked about. I mean, I'm sure lo-fi is obviously thrown around and it's a pretty like catch-all term. I'm not suggesting we're making it up. Yeah. But I do think that there's some very specific, particularly as we're coming at, uh, things from like a punk perspective yeah there's some very specific films that are interesting and that fit into the lo-fi canon mm-hmm. that i think will be interesting to talk about yeah. and i think aren't known a great deal either so if you're interested we're probably going to do that on the next episode <laughs> or this episode is going to go horribly badly and we'll just scrap that and we'll do something else yeah we'll see no promises <laughs> but also i hope we've wetted your whistles <laughs> <laughs> who knows uh, we had some nice feedback from the last one we probably don't need to go into it too much but a lot of the stuff that we're talking about and probably that we're going to be talking about now is about the effect that the internet has more or less had on the need for like lo-fi anything and obviously mm. within zines that was very much about how is there any point in putting anything down on paper when it's so easy to share things online yeah. is there any difference between a blog and a zine and yeah. this sort of stuff and again you'll have to go back and listen to it but I had an interesting conversation. My friend Cody, who writes poetry, mm-hmm. uh, we did a split book not too long ago, wrote me something quite interesting the other day, which was about how in, in very modern times, pretty much like during the sort of COVID pandemic, apologies, Cody, this may not be exactly what you said, but um, <laughs> that he found that Instagram, finding other poets and a poetry scene on Instagram, led him down a path that took him to small presses. And I thought that was quite interesting because obviously we often talk about social media in a negative way. And definitely last time, I don't think we necessarily talked about it in a negative way, but we did talk about it in a way that was more like this thing has made small presses completely pointless. 
this mm-hmm. internet thing. It's yeah. taken away. It's taken away. But actually, I think it can lead people down a path which leads them to physical media. Yeah. And another example of this is something that I found. I've recently started working in a bookshop. I oh, think gosh. we might have talked about that. And uh, there is a new thing, and it's a proper thing, mm-hmm. to the point that I noticed when I was in the post office, which is in a WH Smith's in Hastings. In WH Smith's, there's like a sign for this. There is something called Book Talks. Book Talks? And this is something else. Uh, my friend Martin Appleby, who we used to talk about a lot and we don't so much anymore. But he's, a, he's, a, he's a friend of the show. He's a busy boy. Um, he's coming out soon. He sent me this interesting link about somebody who had written a, what I think is a fiction book, but like a DIY press. I think he was probably relatively known, but it was a small book. And it went viral on TikTok. And as a result, he wrote this article about how he was like having to fill about a thousand orders a day because so many people were buying his book. And it was this crazy thing that... And I, I don't know whether I questioned the article a little bit. I think it might have been somebody who was trying to get a lot of people to look at his TikTok oh in order God. to sell his book more. But, yeah. but the point is, is this book talk thing is a genuine thing and it is people's books going viral on TikTok and yeah. then everybody going out and buying them. And I know the bit in W. Smith you're talking about yeah. now and I wonder what that meant. It's yeah. like, you've seen this on TikTok. Yeah. It's just loads of books that I didn't understand. They weren't connected to each other. I didn't understand why they were popular. There's somebody called someone... Colleen Nolan or Norton. I Co- should know this because she's like the most famous author at the moment and her really? new book has just come out and it, honestly is it not one of the nolans that no, no 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 okay no, no, no. someone else but um i would say that in the in the two weeks that i've been working at said bookshop it's almost the only book i've sold i mean suddenly so we've sold loads of them and her apparently the way that she got big was through tiktok now i can't ah. quite work out exactly what this somebody got big through tiktok thing is because what it isn't i can tell you this as far as i can make out it's not people like doing book readings on tiktok and people hearing them and then buying their book oh. the, the example that martin sent me was this guy who had literally somebody had videoed the front cover of his book for 10 seconds and i think maybe turned it over and showed the back cover and more or less just said this, this book's really good, good. And apparently that went viral and now that book's selling loads and loads and what? loads of copies. That's and I was insane. like, well, why the fuck would something like that go viral? But anyway, this is a whole other issue. But the point that I'm trying to make is that in the last couple of weeks since we did the last episode, a lot of different things, completely unrelated to each other, actually, weirdly, I'm mm. going to describe it as a synchronicity. I don't mind. It's not go really. But um, a lot of different things have pointed out that actually TikTok specifically, uh, but also Instagram, yeah. have like this impact whereby people can discover physical media through them and then and then start and getting into them. physical media and i suppose for young people that's even more so because whilst like, obviously kids have books bought for them when they're kids i'm not saying kids don't know what a book is <laughs> but uh, you know i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of kids wouldn't know about physical media in the context of music I'm trying to now bring yeah, it back around to what we we're about yeah, to talk yeah. about. And so if you've never really experienced physical media on... Because uh, even their parents, most people who are, let's say, 30, who are having kids, 
They've just got their Bluetooth linked up to yeah. their Spotify right, and you yeah. just bypass having almost, any physical music. Yeah, almost house. everyone I know of my age, they don't have CDs anymore. I've got a lot of record collector friends and that's yeah. something else maybe, but not everyone's like that. So there's loads of people, I think, who are young, who are probably just discovering music, who only know it as something that comes out of a box. But then they're it's discovering coming back vinyl. around to vinyl and yeah. cassettes are having yeah, a bit absolutely. of a boom again no, as totally. well. And I guess we'll probably end up thinking about that a little more as to why kids are getting back into physical yeah media maybe that yeah. maybe people are discovering the worth in it but i think i just want to say up front that maybe it is because of social media yeah maybe it is because of the connectivity of our world because i suppose mm. you get into a band because you hear them on spotify or whatever yeah. and you've never really experienced physical media and then you start getting into them and you and you go and then they've suddenly got a merch store there and you see all these yeah. records and you think well those records are fucking awesome like, i'd love what i'd love to own that even if they don't listen to it that way i don't know but well, we'll, yeah i we'll, don't know if we'll kids are listening to their records i mean so it's small synchronicity ish just given what you've given what i mean i'm calling about. i've just called i'm calling this. everything a synchronicity. i was gonna say i just did so you can yeah <laughs> So when I went to uni, I was friends with someone who is now in a ridiculously popular band called Glass Animals. Can't claim to have actually listened to them properly. And they had a song go viral on TikTok. Mm. Um, and it is now the single that has been in the charts the longest ever in the Billboard charts. But that presumably, ever. so that went viral on TikTok after they were already a big band. Must have. Because uh, they've been a band for a while. That's not, how they got, that's not how they no, got big, No, it's not big, how they got big, but it's definitely... Um, I don't think without that, no offence to them, that song may have ended up in the charts for so long, for example. Yeah. But it's now like the longest uh, serving single in the top 100 of the Billboard charts that has ever existed. Yeah. And that's apparently because of a viral TikTok trend. And again, this goes over my head a little bit. Um, well, th but that, that's where the negative aspect of this, we, we're mm. jumping way ahead, but that's where the <laughs> negative aspect of this is that, like, why does something go viral? Is that a healthy process, mm. something going viral? Does that pick out the best things or does it pick out the simplest, most easy to consume things? Well, and I'm, I'm, not yeah, saying it, it, yeah, I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying that that whole viral process yeah. isn't necessarily the best way that people should be it's, finding out about art. It's not too dissimilar <laughs> to when people were making songs that would translate well into a ringtone. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's almost yeah, the same yeah, yeah. as that. Or that fucking band that we talked about in the news section, I think of the last episode, oh, who are annoyed with Spotify because they um, only get paid, they get paid after 30 seconds, but they don't think they're getting paid enough. So they made three albums of worth of 30 songs. second songs. Yeah. That's just petulance. Yeah. And that's not, that's, that's not a way to it probably is the <laughs> easiest way to go viral really a 30 second song is perfect or however long a tiktok video is yeah if you make a song that length that's probably the most sensible business move you can make but, but how that's boring not, and how non-creative yeah that's not the best art that you can make well let's bring it back round to <laughs> we've the really, topic we've gone to the end we skipped to the end that's it thanks a lot ladies and gentlemen <laughs> we'll see you next Mic time drop <laughs> so let's get back to it so this is about lo-fi culture lo-fi mm -hmm. music what is lo-fi music well, i think that we need to make clear that we're not going to be able to cover that question in its entirety because lo-fi music good job <laughs> uh, lo-fi music well they, uh, what i mean by that yeah. is we're not going to if you're tuning in to this episode thinking oh, i love lo-fi music i hope they talk about my favorite band we're Probably almost not. certainly not going to we can't go through the entire annals of what lo-fi music is yeah so and, and also it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people of this, isn't it? yeah so we mentioned a book a lot uh, and the book really that gave us um 
the idea of doing this series at all is called DIY the Rise of Lo-Fi Culture by Amy Spencer. And I found, and I might have mentioned this last time, I found that the zine aspect of that book was pretty good at talking about mm-hmm. like independence. But when she got onto the lo-fi music section, a lot of it is about like early punk, which... Retelling the punk scene of New York. Yeah. A lot of bands that were like on major labels and stuff. And then, but then even then, she kind of got into like just independent labels. But she was talking about things like Rough Trade and stuff like that, which are like really big independent labels. It's sort of like saying, well, what's lo fi culture? Well, it's fat records and epitaph. (laughs) You know, it's not, uh, well, it could be, I suppose. And those things are more lo fi than U2 or (laughs) Britney Spears or something. Do you know what I mean? But like, what lo-fi is in the context of what we're going to be talking about is people that actively use exclusively analog i think mm-hmm. that's important to say it's analog over digital mm-hmm. which obviously for a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about they didn't have a choice there was only analog <laughs> digital was relatively new um and that used like really basic equipment yeah and i think we're just going to sort of leave it at that and like really yeah. basic recording techniques and cheap i think it, you know things yeah, being cheap, m- was... cheap or, or free yeah. is kind of another important uh, aspect of it and so we've i suppose i don't want to call them case studies that's a that's i think i've just yeah i know I, I, that's a really shit way of describing but i was trying to think of like we should just take a base yeah of what we might talk about and so i've i chose two record labels which i think for completely different generations yeah are the sort of epitome of what lo-fi music is Mm -hmm. and the first one is k records Uh, k records was about in the very started in the very early 80s just to give you like a really vague idea i'm not going to go into this too much but k records were run by a guy called calvin johnson that was in a band called beat happening i think Mm -hmm. most people have heard of beat happening I feel like they're the sort of band that a lot of people would be aware of, but maybe wouldn't have actually listened to their music. Yeah, although no, no, you, there's, I think there's a couple of songs that you may have heard and not realised that you knew of theirs. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, Indian Summer yeah. was covered by an awful lot of people. Yeah, um, exactly. But K Records, um, fundamentally, like their their attitude was a, a lo-fi one, so you could record really cheaply. And mm-hmm. a lot of their early releases were literally, and not just early releases, were literally like, one microphone into a boombox yeah and a band stands around it and just plays the song completely live and that was the recording in fact that was almost exclusively what they did and beat happening definitely like most of their most famous music if you listen to it it's incredibly primitive yeah uh, in the way that it was made that was largely out of necessity and i think this is one of the discussions probably the main discussion that we're going to have because at that time it was kids that just couldn't afford to do anything else yeah uh, some of them probably could I don't know maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt there but for the most part I think it was you know people that were trying yeah. to make lo-fi music because they didn't really have a choice but what it did was it opened up artistically I think it opened them up in a lot of ways because one of the things with K Records was that the so the band the idea of having the drummer the guitarist the bass player the singer or whatever and the keyboard player mm. I don't know what would have been around at that time mm. totally went out the window and so now you could be a band if you were just like an electric guitar and a singer. Yeah. Or or if you if your drummer couldn't play drums but they could hit one tom and one snare in time, that was the drum kit. Yeah. So as a result of that, it like pulled music apart a lot. And I think that's what Beat Happening are kind of famous for doing. And I think that if you're talking about like point A in what modern lo-fi music is, I think Beat Happening is it. Mm-hmm. And all the other stuff that came out on K Records. 
pretty much. Now, you could go way back further in time. I mean, you could talk about folk singers who yeah. would have been recorded in very basic ways. But also, I it, what it made me think a lot about was like early rock and roll music, yeah. Sun Studios, like all those famous studios that recorded like Elvis and fucking Buddy Holly and all that stuff. They were, for the most part, a room with a two-track recorder with one or maybe two microphones dotted around the room. Mm -hmm. The band would set up, they'd go in, they'd play the song from start to finish with everything. They'd do the vocals and the drums and everything. They'd just be put in cleverly around the room so that the sound worked. And that was the recording. And that was, you know, that's all the hit singles from the 50s and all those yeah. doo-wop bands that had like six voices going at all times and you can hear them. They well, that genuinely was... had six voices going at all times. But the, yeah, <laughs> they, that was just into one microphone. Um, I... And, you know, and people are still desperate to find that sound now, I think. Well, I think another attractive thing about that notion of lo-fi culture, uh, lo-fi music is that, like you say, they had to put... They, Beat Happening, for example, pulled apart what it is to be musical mm. and uh, to be creative in that way with what you have. And I think there's two elements to that. It's the idea of having less, um, which I think a lot of people have out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think come later, and we'll get on to talking about why people still do it, the idea of looking like you have less probably is quite attractive to middle-class white people now who are mm-hmm. making this kind of music. Um, but also, if you've got less, it gives people who are creative but maybe don't consider themselves musical an outlet and a, and a reason yeah. to be involved, um, which I think is a really way attractive thing. And I think that kind of started a lot of musical genres that came from this. It ends up going Riot Girl. It ends up going um, Beyond Beat Happening and just people who were just like having a nice time with instruments they weren't really familiar with but were creative at their heart and, need, and wanted to have a way of doing it and it creates music that didn't really maybe even sound like music first time i heard beat happening i was like i don't know yeah don't know if i like this but uh, yeah. it's it's something really primitive and that is a uh, non-musical about it that makes it really beautiful and very musical yeah and i think it gives people a start as well yeah. that's the other thing that, that we haven't yet covered is that so for example k records there was a bunch of bands that you all know yeah. So Beck released his first couple of albums on K-Records. Actually, it's a bit more confusing than that. He recorded his first two albums, but they didn't come out until after Mellow Gold. Like yeah. Big first, so it's a bit more confusing. But fundamentally, Beck recorded his first two albums. Yeah. Modest Mouse like started on K-Records. So a bunch of people that were... And loads of Riot Girl stuff. I mean, really, yeah. without... I, this is maybe pushing it a bit, and it, not a good thing to say considering K-Records is 50% run by a man. But I think without K-Records, I don't think that Riot Girl would have ever actually got where it got yeah it got and, it, and you got might even argue wide. that it would never have happened because uh, k records was based in olympia where a lot of the early riot girl mm. stuff started and in a lot of ways the scene that they had created in a little bit of a similar way to the scene that was around in washington dc that had yeah. been created by discord those were the things that you could piggyback the riot girl scene off of yeah um in a lot of ways but i guess uh, that's another um just getting back to the community and the scene that was happening around that as well as it all being lo-fi it was all very independent like calvin johnson's first foray into this was he when he was 15 joined the community radio um show yeah uh, chaos is it k-a-o-s and he said the whole point of that was to get your hands on these methods of technology that we communicate with each other Mm. and it's it's just so i just thought that was really nice and really 
everyone needs a starting place sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel like lo-fi music is the whole point of that. And he started in such a way, you know, I'm 15, I'm just going to turn up and get used to what this equipment looks like. Mm. And um, and then there's the whole ethos of that radio show anyway. It was like 80% independent music. Yeah. And I think Calvin Johnson then went on to be like, you know what, I'm only going to listen to independent music as much as I can. Um, and that leads to people just starting out or just being involved in music for the first time but that has a real overlap with just punk generally mm. and i think and that's the diff there is a slight difference between independence and lo-fi, and lo-fi. And Fair, I, and yeah. I suppose or at least we're going to make a difference between yeah. those two things because I, I think it's that those are all the good things about punk as well aren't they yeah punk says here's three chords you've learned them now you can start a band you can go do it or not even that you know you can just go and start a band and that's great and lo-fi does that but it almost does that like even more so yeah. it says you almost don't need an instrument yeah or you've you've had this crazy idea where you want to just it's a bit like so uh, the book brings up a lot about skiffle mm. uh, which we're not really going to be able to talk about and we're definitely not experts about but skiffle was a style of music in i think it was the 1950s it got big in you know, the uk in the 1950s yeah i mean i think it I existed think long before knows where it comes from. but it's that style of music where it's all acoustic and it's the uh washboard yeah, um, and it's like a string on a bit a of wood. A string on a bit of wood with an old bathtub on the bottom yeah. is the bass, and then a guitar, and I think that's more or less it, really. Yeah, and whatever else you can make an instrument out of. People play the spoons. Yeah. People, like, whatever you can stomp or bo- stomp your foot on becomes uh, a bass drum. Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's revolutionary in an age where musical instruments are difficult to come by mm-hmm. or are very expensive mm. or are only owned by relatively well-off people. Yeah. That's very important. And I think that you could argue that right up until the sort of 90s, that was probably true to some extent of of musical instruments. They were, they were more expensive and they were more difficult to come by. And de- even if yeah. the instruments themselves weren't, it was very difficult to have, like, you wouldn't just have a Marshall half-stack... Yeah. That was not affordable to no. the average person until the 90s, I reckon. And even then, it was very expensive. And, I, and, and I still is, like, don't get me wrong. Well, it also proved that you can make music on anything. And that's really uh, inspiring to absolutely everyone, but specifically, like, kids. Mm-hmm. Like, there must have been kids that watched TV or listened to the radio. That it was like, not only is this proficient... And not only is this an instrument that I can't own, but it's also quite proficient and mm. it's been well learned. But actually, if you can like tap a rhythm on something or... I mean, did you ever make <laughs> guitars out of like cardboard when you were a kid? I made a guitar out of Meccano. Out of Meccano? Uh, I but mean, it didn't play- work because, no, it wasn't play- It didn't have strings. I just made the shape of a guitar so- out of Meccano and it had a motor in it that <laughs> went round. And I thought what I could do is if I put the strings... The motor oh. would touch the strings, but oh. I'd never got the strings for it. So I think my, I just got destroyed. I just got destroyed. <laughs> Picano comes together and goes away. But I remember at like primary school, we had maybe a lesson, maybe a few lessons, I don't know, where we actually made instruments out of like cardboard that you had to bring in. And I mm. remember like you made the little guitar out of like um, elastic and an inner of a kitchen roll tube and a bit of a Weetabix box or something. But it was to the, the point was it you would make playable things yeah. and then oh god bless our teachers and then we all just made a racket at the end I like the that man that playing made. the saxophone while his brain was <laughs> <Yeah>. open <laughs> but I think the nice thing about that is is it it opens a world that unless you like you say unless you have an instrument in your hand and feel any kind of capability to play it so here's so here like, I mean we jump it's more primitive it brings it back totally. to everyone's got that ability do it on whatever you've got in front of you but, and I quite like that about skiffle that kind of notion of lo-fi and where 
that takes it into into lo-fi music specifically like what calvin johnson was doing where it's just like here's basically nothing have a go but jumping ahead and let's not talk about this quite yet Mm -hmm. but jumping ahead so you're describing being a kid and making noise on whatever you can get your hands on basically and that would have been the same potentially if there was a guitar laying around in your house or something you might have done the same thing so is there any worth to that if a kid most kids have got mobile phones and you can open up more or less the equivalent of like mm. a 24 track studio and synthesizer and sequencer yeah without probably even paying for it you know probably the most basic basic app could do an awful mm. lot of that music making and of course most music is not made by instruments or maybe well, that's that's maybe not true but a good chunk of music is obviously made uh, digitally yeah is there any point in banging on a box anymore? And we'll get to that as we go on. Um, yeah. But but just to move forward a little bit, the other case study, mm-hmm. as I'm going to call it again, uh, that we're going to use is um, Planet X Records. Uh, Planet X Records is a, probably a better example of people that could quite easily afford uh, to have clean clothes and uh, <laughs> new instruments. Uh, sort of just like play acting a little bit at not being able to do that or at least making a lot of life choices in which they therefore they therefore can claim that they can't do that now don't get me wrong i love planet x records there is problems about planet x which we're not going to get into but the guy that uh, ran planet x i think has been cancelled uh, oh, we're no. not going to get into that but we'll i think do. it's yeah. is worth acknowledging but i don't think that takes away it's not he wasn't the important aspect of uh, planet x and it is a bit sad because as soon as he was cancelled the entire label just vanished and what i would say about that label is that if it had one thing it was definitely community mm. and it had a place for a very specific style of music and their bands weren't all one thing but they were largely political anarcho bands who played like pop punk and folk punk mm. with a few other things thrown in as well um the record label was around it started in the 90s but it was really sort of hit its zenith in the early noughties and you would know loads of bands from planet x records they wouldn't mention planet x anymore because of said cancellation but against me released their first ep on there mm. martha and on Sind released some stuff through planet x records early on uh, Andrew Jackson Jihad and uh, Defiance Ohio, they both got pretty big uh, over time. So where do they fit into kind of lo-fi music, as it were? So I bring them up to some extent because I think, and this is a narrative that I'm sort of writing in my head as I speak, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I'll get this 100% right, but Planet X Records, when they came out, or at least when they got big in the sort of early noughties, it was at a time when punk had just like really gone stratospherically mainstream yes and almost for about the third time this from like sort the warp of tour era, oh i mean yeah and the warp tour had been going for a long time but yeah oh, i mean okay. it's so, so you know from green day forward it was that thing where there was always and there was then from green day then you sort of ended up with glory with, turns yeah up. and then you end up with like bling 182 yeah. and then you ended up with like fucking good charlotte and some 41 i don't know yeah. if i'm putting them in the right order but you know punk came to mean this thing which was not in any way rough around the edges yeah and even if you went down a few rungs go even down to the fucking uk diy punk scene like everybody sounded really good their artwork was really good everyone was you know releasing professional sounding and looking right, records and all yeah. that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that but obviously on, on a on a bigger scale those bands were even the bands that were on like epitaph records and things like that of course i suppose but they were really pro slick and so Planet X, and not just them, but like that whole scene, 
was one that said, well, we like poppy music. We like catchy music, but it doesn't have to be about nothing. It doesn't yeah. have to be Blink-182 who... I think the singer once described when he was asked what they talked about these these he said uh, sexy girls and laughing at homosexuals yeah, I remember was, an, I remember an interview with him it's never left my mind that's why yeah. I've never been able to listen to them since they have a song about fucking a dog in the bum yeah so, so you know so at this point you know punk if you want to even call it that punk was this incredibly like corporate and money making thing and it yeah. was before CDs had, and and physical music had all sort of burnt as mm. well of course so the internet was early and people weren't re- there was some sharing of mp3s but there was money to be made yeah pirate bay was just about to get cancelled y- yeah <laughs> so planet x came out and like i say they're they're seen generally and said well this is all rubbish let's just let's just go back you know just record in the most basic possible way mm. and use the most basic possible in, uh, instruments and that's you know and and we talked about this i think at some point in the past about this idea of like if you want to tour touring with a five piece band with loads of really professional equipment is difficult mm. you need a van and you know you need quite a bit of money and all that sort of stuff whereas if you can start a band where you've got a washboard and an acoustic guitar yeah then you can hitchhike for all it matters or you can get a train or you can you know you can drive around in a little car yeah and that was kind of their whole attitude. And their the the movie. So we watched the movie about Planet X, which is called "If It Ain't Cheap, It Ain't Punk." And I suppose really that, that kind sums of sums up. up the entire thing. Yeah. I also read a book that he wrote about it, which is called "Free Pizza for Life," which turns out mostly to just be about free pizza. It's not really about Planet X at all, <laughs> but it's quite a good read. It's not too bad. You know, I think a lot of the music that came out of it, I just think a was really good and obviously like i say like against me released their first thing on it yeah. I and mean, against me is sort of everyone's favorite band now and, and there was kind of this honesty and like something very real about it at a time where it punk was not very honest or real yeah seeming anyway and i think also it led to it didn't just lead to like those bands that are now big you know like against me obviously are a big band but it also led to things like fest or well, maybe mm. not led to, that's pushing it a bit because No Idea Records also existed before Planet mm-hmm. X and I think the two worked together as well. But, you know, it, it led to that whole like indie punk scene that we now all know, that kind of more like politically minded yeah. punk scene, but which isn't like crust or hardcore or, you know, the music yeah. is really easy to listen to and poppy or, or it's more or less indie music or, frankly, the genre of the music makes no fucking difference at all. Yeah. Uh, what makes a difference is how you uh, carry yourself. You know how, what you what decisions you make as far as business is concerned, and what um, what does you know how you deal with other people, yeah. whether you're kind, whether you're mm. nice, and it was all very idealistic in that way. Yeah. I think it's funny to think now. So moving forward to the to those types of bands now, a lot of those bands are extremely professional, including the ones who were involved in Planet yeah, X, but also also all the other bands that maybe unknowingly have been influenced by those bands they along with almost the entire independent music scene i would say yeah all sound extremely professional well in as much as most people can either access a quite a professional studio for not too much money or there's quite a lot of people that have become very good at recording at home and it doesn't sound like a home recording anymore is that kind of where you're going well yeah um, yeah to some extent um and maybe that is the discussion that we now need to have Mm about what is the point in making something which is lo-fi uh, today when, like we like I've just sort of alluded to, you could literally make a professional-sounding recording. And I'm not 
let me be clear. <laughs> there is a, there, there are people who are very skilled at recording bands who will yeah. be able to make an incredibly good recording of those bands. When I'm saying, oh, you can make something that sounds like a professional recording on a phone, I do appreciate that there is an awful an awful lot of skill, which <laughs> also goes into it. What, what I more mean by that is that it's, ava- you know, it's available to you. Yeah. It's, it's possible. It's not easy, and it's not that everybody can do it. Yeah. But it's quite difficult to sound bad. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's a better way of looking at it. So mm. if you're going to record your guitar into a boombox with one mic, there's going to be loads of issues with that. Yeah. And those issues are the things that makes that an interesting sound, I would I would argue. Yeah. Not everyone would agree with that. But if you're going to record the same guitar into your phone with a microphone that's been bought in the last probably 20 years, you're going to be hard-pressed to make that sound as bad as the boombox. <laughs> Well, I guess it leads to two little, uh, a couple of things here. When we were watching, I think the K Records documentary, Michael, I'm going to say his name wrong, Michael Azerard. Yes, who wrote one of the greatest books of all time. This Band Could Be Your Life. Yeah. I said your life. Yeah, I know, you said that weird, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it in. Um, this he, Band Could Jaw Your Life. <laughs> this Band Could Jaw Your Life. <laughs> but he makes a point where he describes that lo-fi music was once that it was working within your means and and it came out kind of poorly because of the recording but he said but also it's come to mean something else where the producer isn't given as much credit like you say they're actually really good at recording people but actually it's become this genre of people who are playing a bit out of tune maybe singing a bit out of tune and that's also become what lo-fi culture could mean yeah um and I don't know that that's necessarily wrong either. Well, um, no, because I think that's that... part of it. I guess lo-fi culture isn't just necessarily how poorly or how it's recorded, but maybe also people doing it for the first time and it, isn't, it being a bit rough around the edges, but even also, if it's recorded really well. But also there's lo-fi recording, but there's also lo-fi like talent. Yes. To some extent. Yeah, I guess like part it. of this, part of this is about. And maybe lo-fi is the wrong turn of phrase for this, but it's the one we're using. But there's something about that thing of like, if you want to sing, just fucking sing. Do it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're not perfectly in yeah. tune. Uh, there's still a. It can be fucking brilliant. Yeah. Some people who have don't have good voices. Yeah. Are amazing, and actually, I would argue that most people that have been trained to sing really well it's have boring. boring shit voices that no one wants to listen to. Well, that's why I like. That's uh, a very simple. I apologise to anybody who's just got annoyed with me for saying that because i know that's simplistic two bands and they do sound kind of similar in their delivery but i um um, like applaud them for it i think calvin johnson's singing Mm. is just his talking and it's very kind of grating to hear sometimes but i I love it he's got a beautiful voice i know what you mean but there's certain vowels he sings that are difficult to hear i would say not okay not difficult to hear but a trained singer would probably be like oh Oh, god yeah 100 percent. and the same with like the violent femmes in that kind of similar sort of way i mean he famously doesn't really sing Mm. it's just kind of like babbling and try having a go at it but it's so beautiful in its own right and it's kind of a, a good reminder to just have a go because whatever you've got is probably it's got a quality to it and but you the, don't have to be a train singer because like you say if you're a train singer sometimes that's going to be very boring but also those bands both those bands were extremely instrumental another yeah. example of that is this band dead moon who were fucking amazing and if mm. you haven't heard dead moon go and listen to them but they famously uh completely separate to everyone else they weren't a part of any scene but they made this kind of like sort of like rock and roll almost like proto heavy metal although mm. it was made when heavy metal existed so it can't be proto i suppose and the guy's got this weird, like, shrieking voice 
that's hard to describe. And if you just heard it, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But in the context of this, the band, it's fucking incredible. It's like an extra instrument. Yeah. And it's and again, it's like recorded really badly. But the recording, yeah. the, the, the bad recording on it adds so much to the sound because it makes yeah. it sound like it's coming from a different planet. And I think I that like this that. is one of the things that I like the most about lo-fi recording generally so even ignoring people that say oh we're we're a lo-fi band or whatever yeah. if you just look at like early american hardcore or like early misfits records or mm-hmm. something that stuff was so badly recorded largely and definitely in comparison to how you could record things today yeah but as a result of that they sound fucking amazing because they sound like they come from the place that they come from yeah and something that maybe we've lost a little bit with digital recordings is that that's no longer even possible well there's people that are trying to sound lo-fi but through professional recording equipment yeah that it just can't really it doesn't really happen in the same way and now it's being done by just turning all of your amps up so that it sounds awful i'm sure there's probably more complex i'm sure, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, sure. I, 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 it says siobhan the record producer well, this, expert. Is, uh, <laughs> this is the other problem people like me have been allowed to record and it's uh no but you've, just, uh, but you've recorded in pro- very professional that's places, what i so mean that's not it's, actually it's not really comparable so no it's the the but the but there is there, there's so many different aspects to this one of them is that there are a lot of bands i think we've had this conversation on this podcast before there are a lot of bands who come in and they say like we want to sound like say the early circle jerks and then they go into a really professional or even not that professional they go to their mate with his pc yeah and they try and create the sound of the circle jerks yeah. and they do a really good job of it and it's really impressive and it's fucking it's great that they've been able to do that but is that is that genuine yeah, that's it. It's you not know, authentic. that's the question. It's not. It's not. It's a little bit like how. <laughs> it's a little bit like houses, right? Uh, when housing estates are being built, and we're making all of these like mock Tudor houses that all look exactly the same, and the gardens are exactly the same, mm. and everything's the exact same size, and you know they're perfectly built, and they're exactly what they're supposed to be but they make our overall culture so much more boring Boring. because everywhere you go in the country you see these massive housing estates and all the all the houses look the same yeah and in a lot of ways i feel like digital recording you could there's some sort that's some sort of metaphor for for digital recording it's like you're not making something genuine then you're not really making a tudor house any more than you're really making a circle jerks album what we should be doing is we should be trying to make something which is of now what is 2022? What is the 2022 oh. culture? Like, what is a what is architecture in 2022? Well, it's it's just this sort of weird, like, shit version of old architecture. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's true of music, but to some extent you might be able to argue that it is true of a lot of production techniques. It's like, are we just trying to recreate something from the past and therefore not managing to make our own thing? And what I would say, going back to K Records and Planet X, who are more or less like 20 years apart from each other mm-hmm. is that both of them made sounds that were very much of their time even planet x who i do think a lot of them were cosplaying being you know train punks or whatever the fuck yeah. they, they thought they were being you know oh i live in my van which is great if <laughs> but, you know your parents live down the road and you're using their bathroom and they're still giving you money or whatever but they did you know you listen to planet x records and it, it does sound of its time there's no that that to me is the sound of 2006 to 2010. So I guess you know? in a in the modern world, where 
I mean, I don't know what is 2022 culture. I mean, this is a much bigger. Yeah, we weren't really prepared for this as a conversation. But, but, uh, you, but what you were saying is, all of these things were sounds of their then cultures and their then what was available to them at those times, uh, potentially. Uh, although Planet X, like I say, was trying to go back to something. But even they were trying to go back to something that had already progressed past it. So in 2022, should we be ploughing forward with the digital age and therefore our instruments obsolete? Like, or well, we've are we then that. are we going backwards? And if so, what does that look like? And how do we get to it most genuinely? Because I well, guess... I think the question, well, the the first question is probably right. What is what is 2022? And and. Uh, I mean, in I a lot of ways, we it's an un- well, it's well, no, but it's an unfair question because you've got to be careful about this because you only really notice culture ten years, you know, when you're looking back on it. Oh, so okay. I can sit here now and say Planet X sounds exactly like 2006, but yeah. actually in 2006, I'm not sure that I would have necessarily realised that, you know. Yeah. So I guess it's a it's a not an easy one to talk about when you're in the moment but not sure i know what 2012 culture was either no yeah i think that's fair (laughs) um one of the i'm going to use another metaphor i'm full of them today you are i was reading a book about i can't it's about someone who's like traveling around the world and um douglas adams in fact it's not just someone it's wonderful douglas adams and um he describes i can't remember i think it was barley Mm -hmm. and he describes how everybody told him that barley was this amazing place that you've got to go to and, you, and you're going to be like amazed by this place called Bali. Yeah. And when he got there, what he realised was that Bali, the amazing place, had re- been replaced brick by brick, like slowly over the course of a long period of time. It had been replaced by a version of Bali which attracted tourists. So, mm-hmm. And as a result of that, it had all the same things in it that, that he was expecting, that people had said, you'll love this about Bali, but none of them were real anymore. They're very authentic. And so therefore you lost all of the reasons that people went to Bali in the first place because you've replaced Bali with a different version of Bali, which provides them with all the things that they wanted in the first place. Yeah. And I feel a little bit like that might be a good uh, metaphor for our entire culture. We've kind of replaced original thought with copying old original thought well we were trying to discuss what um modern punk to kids outside of our community Mm. think that punk is i probably said that wrong but what i mean to say is kids that are coming up now they're like 16 and 17 um or some of the younger bands that are from hastings where their punk sound comes from that isn't because it isn't coming from our way and it's you, it's always a replica of the band that is from your time before. Mm. So at the minute, we've got bands that sound a bit like the Arctic Monkeys coming through that are that are now the new face of edgier alternative uh, punk. I'm going to put punk in inverted commas. Um, music that's in the mainstream. Yeah. And they were ripping off bands from before, and they were ripping off bands from before. And I I wonder if that's kind of like I don't know where the new. Where new comes from now? Where did yeah. new come from? Well, I don't know. It's, it's, but then, where did new ever come from? Because you could also argue that it, it, that's not that's true of all mu- since the dawn of rock and roll. Definitely, like all pop, yeah. mu- all pop music has been a version of the pop music that came before yeah, no, it, but just moved on a little bit. And maybe this is just a case of in ten years' time, we'll be able to look back and say, "Oh, actually, there was yeah. this going on, or whatever," and we just don't know about it. That's perfectly possible. But I don't know where does new come from. <sighs> 
mean, um, uh, maybe, but maybe where new comes from, because you said earlier about, well, do we just throw away all of our instruments and just go straight to the computer? Is mm. like, is that what 2022 is? But I would argue that that's what 2012 was. We've already yeah. we've already thrown all of our instruments away and made dance music. So <laughs> like, so where do you? I don't know where where you go from that. And in well, a way, just, it doesn't. Ma- let me be clear: it doesn't matter if you're making music. That's oh, better than not making music. Like. Just for you, like even if your music's rubbish, it's brilliant that you're you're standing in yeah. a room and you're playing an instrument or you're singing. It doesn't matter that it's not wildly original. What you know? what I would say, going back to why things like skiffle and uh, really low budget and lo-fi music being really accessible, is that it's also not very intimidating. Mm. And I would say that yes, there are kids that can just open up a phone. Um, and make a song very easily on an app, I imagine. I say I imagine because I definitely could not do that. And I would be extraordinarily intimidated by that. But I imagine there will still be kids that surely... I I don't don't know. I don't think that kids, like when you're talking about kids, kids, like teenagers say now, or even younger than teenagers, they are not in any way intimidated by anything on the computer or on their phone. They would be way more intimidating of a drum kit than they would of a phone that can make the sound of a drum kit. But then so maybe eventually it will be somewhat revolutionary for people to be like, oh, I've got a guitar. I'm going to plug it into this oh, thing Siobhan, called an amp. It's always revolutionary. But, oh gosh. No, I truly be believe that. No, I'm not being <laughs> asked. That, that is, I a hundred. No, a hundred percent believe that. But that gets, anybody that picking lost? up any musical instruments and playing it is a revolution but to them, to 100%, their life. A hundred percent. I completely agree. Does that then get lost if we're all just digital, digital, digital? And will there always be people that are going, "Fuck it, I'm going to just have a go." Here's the guitar I bought in the charity shop. Yeah. Here's the only thing I can afford to plug it into. Maybe we then, need to create new instruments. Oh, is this <laughs> Maybe how this the ends? guitar, maybe <laughs> the guitar is is too like old hat now. Can we hollow out a carrot and make a carrot recorder because I think we also did that. I, think, I was going to say someone's definitely done that. It needs to be something new. But that's I mean that's there are bands still trying to figure that out always, but they're not the ones that are like being f- that we're seeing so regularly, I would say. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, we exist in a very small corner of the world it's, and we, you know, experience a very small part of culture. So so who the fuck knows? I don't know. There could be like some amazing music scene that's going on in, I don't know, Uganda at the moment or something and we're not going to know about it for another five years. Or, you know, there's loads of fucking amazing punk bands coming out of South America right now. Mm-hmm. And I would say that they have their own sound, unquestionably. It is quite similar to hardcore and it but it is also lo-fi i suppose yeah so maybe that moves on to what we should be talking about which we have sort of already covered but mm-hmm. the the last question Let's that we were going to ask ourselves is why in the modern world do people choose to record in a lo-fi manner and i would say this because we're about to play a band in fact whose recording is definitely I would say not digital. I'm almost certain of that, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to know because I don't really have the ears for this sort of stuff as well. But it's definitely very lo-fi and it's definitely been recorded in an extremely basic way, even if it's ended up going into someone's computer. And of course, I listen to it on the computer. That's the other thing. So everything is digital, mm. really. But um, there are loads of punk bands specifically. If anybody wants to find them, go to MaximumRockAndRoll.com, which still exists, and read mm-hmm. through the reviews because almost every single fucking record on there is someone else making something in their bedroom, which sounds like 
you know, starts with the noise of the room, like starts with feedback from somewhere, yeah. probably their mum's cooker. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, the song starts and like, and there's loads of good stuff. There's good stuff. There's bad stuff. I mean, it's neither here nor there, but there are, what I'm trying to say is there's loads of people that are still going out of their way to buy, you know, four tracks, cassette yeah. four tracks and cassette eight tracks in order to make this sort of lo-fi music. And the question that I have, I suppose, and this is where it gets a bit confusing, is that all of the music that we've been talking about up until this point, you make it lo-fi because it's cheaper and so and because you're able to do that. Hmm. If you do that now in 2022, if you decide to yourself, I want to buy a four-track cassette recorder and some really old amp and, you know, some really old guitar effects hmm. and a really shit old guitar, all of those things cost more than just going and buying good stuff, more or less. Because mm. you can download, I mean, you've, we've all got, I get you can download GarageBand or Audacity onto your computer for free. And you've immediately got something which is like a thousand times better than a, than a cassette four track. Yeah. And if you buy a cassette four track, it's like an antique. So yeah, they're really say, expensive. They're now all retro <laughs> yeah. and get, people know what they can possibly charge for them. So the only people that are making lo-fi music in a proper, proper way, if you like, in inverted commas, mm. are people with loads of money. And it's so it's weird. I don't know what to do with that. But yeah. but I suppose my question is why why? Well, my answer was going to be because anyone can do it. But well, which is still sort of true, don't get me wrong. But maybe maybe I don't know. For me, I still think that the idea of electronically plugging things in all together is is quite intimidating to myself. So if I was going to sit here and record something at home, I wouldn't know where to start if I had a laptop. Hmm. Now, I don't necessarily would think would I would know, know where to start th- with uh, four track. Yeah, either. I was going to say, yeah. But I think they're harder to use looks- than a laptop. Oh, well, it looks <laughs> it looks like the kind of thing that would be more interesting. I guess also, so there's a sound, there's the joy of it sounds authentic. Whether it is nowadays or not is another mm, matter. Well, that's the that's because the meta modern aspect that's, that's of all the of problem, this. Isn't it? People, you hear it and go, God, that sounds really. I feel like I'm in the room, but that's because the production person has done a really good job of making you think you're in the room and there's people that are seeking that deliberately and making big deals out of it and uh, i think amy spencer in that diy low rise of lo-fi culture mentions it in the introduction bit for the music bit that i think jack white famously spent all the money to travel to london mm. to go to a very specific studio it was billy childish's yeah where it, billy yeah. childish recorded to record Elephant, which I think was one of their biggest albums. Um, so they would specifically have a lo-fi sound. But in doing that, whether all the equipment there was still the old original equipment, he spent a fucking load of money to go fly to London, stay there for ages and make a big deal out of doing that. But it's a bit like going back to what I was saying about the sort of old 50s rock and roll. Yeah. I, I think I'm this is definitely true of at least 10 years ago or something, but you can you can go to Sun Studios yeah. and get recorded by the two track uh recording studio Mm. that you know elvish used on his early records and probably use the amps and stuff i know all the amps are still there and it's kind of like a tourist trap but i think you can if you've got enough money i think chris isaac might have gone there and recorded (laughs) an album but the point is is that of course if you're going to go and record in sun studios on their shitty two-track recorder it's probably not shit that's probably not the right (laughs) but it's going to cost you fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah you know in a way that your mate with his PC and garage band. Could probably could reco- make you sound. Well, or could record you better. Better in inverted commas, because what is better? What is good? Yeah, you know. yeah. 
And I think maybe this and is... And probably put effects on it to make it sound a bit like it was done on a crappy... Yeah. You know, you could put all the effects, you could put all the feedback over the top and go from there. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's about the experience of actually doing it. Doing it. As well, in as much as it probably feels a lot more hands-on. Well, I think the definition of lo-fi is going to change. So let's say lo-fi could also mean, you know, the lowest possible... Not skill because skill's not the correct word, but doing things in the most basic, achievable manner. Lo-fi is one day going to mean recording into your phone and just putting it straight on the internet. I think it might already mean that. You know what I mean? And actually, what we consider lo-fi, which is paying loads of money to go and record on these extraordinarily old equipment, isn't lo-fi if it's cost you loads (laughs) of money and if if only a privileged few can do it. I think lo-fi has to always mean... Anyone could do this if they tried. And that's probably like that is probably going to mean just plugging it into a computer and using Audacity if because everyone's learning Audacity in school now. Oh yeah, like, and I mean Audacity is easy. I mean, if you if you're a kid, you could use Audacity yeah. without being taught it, I would have thought. You Le- know, I mean, it's I mean, like PowerPoint. Like yeah. to me making a PowerPoint presentation is like a nightmare, <laughs> but a 6-year-old could fucking do it now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I think lo-fi is always going to be you, you're doing it with what you perceive to be minimal skill. Mm. In your room, at home, or with a couple of people in a small... If it didn't cost you a lot... Like you said, if it didn't cost you a lot of money and a lot of physical effort to get it all in the right place sort of thing. And yeah, that is going to be someone recording in their room. It used to be someone recording in their room into a four track. And now it's going to be people recording into their phones in their room still. Well, it's quite the idealistic way of looking at it as well, isn't it? There's a really interesting interview... Uh, that Calvin Johnson has with Ian Sfenorius yeah, from Nation of himself. Ulysses, who yeah is again another troubling figure, I suppose, to bring up on a, on the podcast yeah. where there's already been one. But um, I'm still not sure whether he cancelled well, himself as some a... sort of modern art piece. But anyway, <laughs> we'll never we'll so. never know. We'll I don't think know. we'll ever know. We'll never know. But the point is, is that he asked him a question, which is more or less like, why don't people just sing to each other anymore? And just to give that a bit, I mean, he doesn't give it any back story whatsoever. Well, I also but I think, think he grins, knowing that it's quite absurd. Yeah, it's and an yet absurd. Calvin gives a good answer. Well, it's an absurd question, but it's a it's a really deep question yeah. as well. And it, I mean, it's all about kind of in the history of time. What yeah. is music? Music is two people communicating to each other, yeah. or a group Performing. of people communicating with each other and communicating with an audience, and that audience might literally be one other person, yeah. or whatever. And it's turned into what we now understand it as you know, rock bands making music to be consumed by yeah. by faceless human beings. And I think um but Calvin Johnson's answer is really interesting and, mm. and it but it's also really two thousand and eight. And we talked about this a little bit on the last episode about how when the book was written that we've talked about in two thousand and six, a yeah. lot of the opinion of the internet was this is going to be great. Yeah. Everything's going to be great because so we've been making these zines for ages and they've been really expensive. But now we can just put them online. We can make e-zines and yeah. everyone will see them and it, they can go around the world and communication is going to get so much better. And he said a similar answer about music um, in as much as, well, that's exactly what the internet is. It's people singing to each other. Mm. So now I can write a song, I can record the song into my computer and it can be online within two hours and somebody in Australia can listen to that song yeah. five minutes later. So it might go viral. Well, yeah, but the the viral that that mm. is the exact problem here. Yeah. So so do we sing to each other anymore? Because of course we do. 
what is the DIY punk scene? It's a bunch of people singing to each other. Yeah. Most people are in bands or maybe maybe yeah. not in bands, but they're doing something. And so it's all of us just kind of communicating with each other in all of these various ways. And it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. But do we view it in that way? Are we still mm. caught up in the sort of rock world whereby it's like I'm releasing an album? Oh, we need yeah. to. I, by the you know, which is you know, literally what my band is doing. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but you know, I, I'm you know, I'm releasing an album. I need to release this many singles and make some videos and you yeah. know, do it in this way. Or should we be looking at it like? When do I get I, to play in front? I'd of love my again? friends to listen to this. Yeah, and then also on the and we talked about this on our. DIY SOS episode but Mm. it is something that I like to go on about because I think it is really important (laughs) it's about like the um, worth of the art that we make yeah it's about like if something is on TikTok or on Facebook and we're just scrolling past it it's like your best friend's just released a new song and you think, oh, that's nice that they've released a new song. And you just scroll up. You don't you listen to it. Or you share it without listening Or you share it. it. Or you might listen to a bit of it and say, oh, that's all right, isn't it? That's quite good. Yeah. Because there's just so much shit. I was having a conversation the other day about, <laughs> sorry, another metaphor a bit, about like choosing a movie to watch, right? Mm-hmm. So I said to him like, and I'm sure this is true of almost everybody, everybody who lives in a house with anybody, whether it's a couple or whatever, the argument that everybody has is what are we going to watch? Yeah. Right? The reason why that argument is such a prof- has such a profound effect on all of our lives is because at any minute we can watch every film that has ever been created. Yeah. From the start of filmmaking all the way through to the most recent like blockbuster. Yeah. It, that's millions and millions of films. It used to be that if you wanted to watch a film, you went to Blockbuster and you yeah. had like 200 tapes to pick from. And if you agreed that, say, you wanted to watch a horror movie, then that made, meant you had like There's 30. Like 10, 30 yeah. yeah, so... It made your ability to choose things and also appreciate those things much easier because there was limitations mm. on it. And I think that now there are no limitations. There's, you could listen to every song that has ever been created now, right this second, without even like, with, just with like yeah. typing in a couple of letters. And it feels like freedom, but it's actually such I a. I think it's the opposite. opposite. Yeah. And I suppose that's what I think of when it comes to lo fi music. It's like placing limitations on something yes. but also but more importantly seeing worth in those limitations yeah. and therefore treating it in such a way and this is this goes back to was it at the very beginning that we were talking about how human beings if if a few it's about the queen <laughs> jesus christ we've oh gone god. around oh when, my god when a handful of human beings say this thing is amazing and we're going to make a big deal out of it then everybody else just follows yeah and that's not because of leaders and followers. That's just the human condition. Yeah. That's like no, you know, anybody can be the leader or the follower in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so, if we all put like loads and loads and loads of emphasis on how amazing all the music that was coming out of, let's say, the DIY punk scene is, then everyone would go along with that, and we would hold that music as being extremely important. Whereas, if we just say, "Oh, loads of bands are just releasing loads of music," and there's just loads of music, isn't there? There's loads of music. But you know what I like? I really like you know queen <laughs> do you know what i mean then then queen again we're never uh, yes yeah, not the queen God. this time but queen how's that double queen metaphors oh synchronicity that one was already even a metaphor that's terrible but you know i just yeah i just sort of think that one of the things about the lo-fi music scene particularly of the 80s i will say this the k record scene which was around in the 80s in comparison to the planet x scene that was around in the noughties mm-hmm had a lot more of a sense of humour about it. 
and was a lot more of a joyful place. Planet X felt a little bit like it was a pretend joyful place. It was a bunch of people saying, oh, we're having the greatest time. This is like the most amazing time ever. Everyone's really nice. But they Mm. didn't seem to be people that you would think, oh, I bet you'd be really nice to hang around with. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't feel like super genuine. Whereas the K Records people all seem like fucking brilliant people that were just like having fun and having a lot even but, when they were still, old yeah even and when still they were do old. now yeah, and yeah. actually there's something there's something to be said for that um i'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this but i'm gonna say it. anyway when getting back into the punk scene having not been in it uh, at all like from being a teenager to when i met you pretty much i would say that i felt elements of the planet x uh yeah fake joy yeah and it was closer really to it felt... in time, by the way, I would say. Uh, we yeah, did meet a long true, time actually. ago, so it, was, it might have been that. It might have been like that. 2012? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. 2013. Um, where I was expecting, and I guess the people in it thought that they were Calvin Johnson, K Records, Joy. Yeah. But actually, from outside of it, I remember going to those first gigs in Peckham and thinking... Sorry, Peckham. No offence, Peckham. And there is joy to be had there, for sure. But at the time, I thought... Mm, you know what? Not as not as not as fun as I think you think you have it. I think that there's an and awful gonna, lot and of And I'm going to go down the hole there's, there. Let, but let me be clear. We we we're lucky. I think our little scene, our scene within a scene, is has a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, you, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Who yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. About. I think that we've and, been, and we've no been, offense to London. There's tons well, of scenes. Well, I was going to. I was about to have offense. To we're going to have a lot of offense we've, to London. We've Sorry, been to spoiler. No, not really, but we've been to a lot of gigs outside of that little scene where everyone is a certain way. I know exactly the gigs you're even thinking of. Yes. I would suggest that there's not a great deal of joy in those rooms, <laughs> full stop, as far as I can see. Wasn't then, but, and mo- not a lot now. Yeah, I'm saying now. I'm yeah. saying like current current gigs. Yeah. So, so you know, I don't think it's. Cha- I don't think anything's changed. I, but I th- maybe that's the problem. Things need to change. <laughs> yeah. I think we've put all the world to rights somewhere along the line. <laughs> oh God, that was supposed to be much more positive than it was. I think. Let's play a let's play a lo-fi song. Go from out and do current... it. Go out and do it. Whatever you want to do, go and do it with genuine in your heart. No. There you go. <laughs> genuine in your heart, yeah. No. Going with it. <laughs> Don't cut that. <laughs> so, this is a band from South America who are doing it for realsies. Is that what you're They're from California. They're not from South America. They're not South America. No, fuck no. <laughs> the South of North America. <laughs> I'm from Norfolk. Well, sort of the middle, Don't really. expect me to know stuff. <laughs> California's very good, though. Sorry, um, America. <laughs> <laughs> we really like California. <laughs> Even if you are in North South America. Anyway, this band is called XUI. Going with that. You're either I called XUI or SWE. I think it's SWE, probably, but I might be wrong. Ooh, SWE. SWE hmm. or XUI. This song is called Pray for Pain. They're from California, and this is from their demo tape that came out a few months ago. So this is Zui or XUI with Pray for Pain.
thanks for listening to this episode of Breakfast Punks podcast. It's been another long doozy, but I hope you have enjoyed it. A long doozy. And a long doozy. That's a it's a cool word for what we just did. We were talking <laughs> about what we should add to our uh, opening segment where we sort of introduce it and we try and say that maybe we should start describing this as a long doozy. Not what even do a we podcast. Used to call it? Hello uh, and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a long doozy about weird shit and DIY punks. Didn't punk. we used to call it a psycho rant? What do we used to call oh, it? Oh, we came up with some fucking oh, word. Oh, we've got some horrible You'll have to go back into the annals of Breakfast Punks. There's well, about think... 3,000 hours to listen to before you <laughs> pick that out, I think. We'll call it something. Um, <laughs> Probably not a long doozy, although that probably is fair. No, I don't know. I like a long doozy. A long that's doozy. That's a long doozy. Um, so that was <laughs> that was our lo-fi culture music episode. Uh, next one's probably going to be about mi- films. I think we've no. Pretty much the decided. next one is going to be about films. I feel, and also pro- hopefully we'll come to some sort of conclusion. Yeah, try and conclude. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it looks like we're luddites. I think it's going that way. Oh, I am definitely a luddite. <laughs> I would like to start. I mean, I think there is a neo luddite movement. I would like to. I if I was ever to start a cult, apart from the Paul Stanley cult. Yeah, I was about to say. Come on. I and, would and definitely. I'd love to start a luddite. Cult. Can the can the Paul Stanley one have UFOs in it somehow? Yeah. And then it can also well, be near luddite. <gasps> he's definitely not a luddite. He's fucking all on your mind. Oh my god, Star Child, <laughs> and we're going to ride a comet. We can be the new Heaven's Gate. Except we won't kill ourselves. We just will do something else. Have a nice time. <laughs> 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 can it be stargazing somehow? If you want. Like go outside because you bought that book from um, the boot fair about stars in the yeah, sky, and you want to yeah. look at you want to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll look at stars. We could name. Oh my god! And with the money that we'll raise, we could name a star after Paul Stanley, and it'll be called Star. Well, Child. no, you could do way better than that. If you were a cult, you yeah. could just say that all of the names of the planets and all the names of the stars that the real people have gi- have given them is rubbish. We're not going to use those, so we're going to name all of the stars and the planets something completely different. Maybe oh kiss gosh. songs or kiss lyrics. Oh yeah. Like look, you could I look, was uh, made for loving you. It was bright yeah, in the sky tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a half. Let's put the X in sex tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Love guns in retrograde. <laughs> Oh my God, Love Guns in Retrograde. Can we please finish this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, as always, go and follow us on Instagram at Breakfast Punks Podcast. Go and we have a YouTube channel. We don't update it anymore, but it is really good. Go look at it. And if you want to speak to us, you can direct messages on Instagram. You can email us at shamseatroasters at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon. I'm sure the rubbish little advert for that has been put into we this episode. Re- we will that. remake that. I'm yeah. so sorry. It's so poo. Um, <laughs> And thank you, as always, to all the Patreons that are giving us money and support. <laughs> who are Patreoning us. Who are, are Patreoning us, furiously. Patreoning us. We'll uh, have a new Patreon episode up fairly soon. And, and we know what we're going to be doing. It's Halloween spooky Halloween. season. Spooky <laughs> season. And we also make, make our own horror film, which is me and David trying to eat as many chicken nuggets as we can in Well, a we've been promising this for a long time, which we haven't done yet. But the point is, is that on the next Patreon episode, if you miss us talking about crappy horror movies like we used to yeah which i'm not sure anyone will so this might not be selling it to you but anyway we're going to be talking about horror movies yes and some that we've watched recently and again maybe making our own one called the chicken nugget challenge we're going to break a world record (laughs) we're going to break a world record it's gonna be great roy castle is going to come back from the dead roy castle had nothing to do with it play his saxophone at us roy (laughs) castle used to present record breakers did he on on cbbc is roy castle not the one that that did um 
uh, record breakers. Lovely? No, yeah. what was that lovely show that I like? Can't even think of it. The one where you guess the phrase based on the pictures. Say what you see. No, say what you see. That's Roy Walker. Oh, damn it! <laughs> Catch Roy Walker's phrase. The- Catch phrase. <laughs> Roy Walker's the best. Roy, just go in there. He's not as good as Roy Castle. I don't care for Roy Castle because it's not Roy Walker. Mm. Anyway, on that bombshell, <laughs> let's play one last song. This is by a band called Customer. They're from New York. Uh, it's a digital single that came out on the 20th of October, so it's brand new. It's available via their band camp. Uh, Customer have got ex-members of a band called Doe. Doe were a wonderful band who were around. They were from London, I think. We they weren't were bad-mouthing them, though. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, Doe were wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Band. I don't know. They split up quite a while ago. but uh, the, the We went to their last ever gig well, about three did. years ago. Uh, but one of them has moved to New York and is now in this band. So yeah. this is Customer with the song Floorboards, and we will see you in two weeks time for our final lo-fi culture episode whoop whoop ta-ta bye devotion